get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker with you for the next three hours. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, Randy, and happy Blues game day. Blues game day tonight. The Blues play the Avalanche second game of the season, pregame at 7. The action at 8. And, oh, by the way, we've got a last-minute Blues podcast from 6 to 7 tonight. That's always fun with our friends from 105.7 The Point, uh, Jeff Burton, Donnie Fandango, and Jamie Rivers. Our own Jamie Rivers is the host of that show. So that'll be fun. That's a lot of personality on that podcast. It yeah, it's, it's a gonna, gr- great listen. Yeah, it'll be great tonight at 6 o'clock. Here's what we have coming up. For you in this show, Jay Delsing, our friend, going to talk some golf at the bottom of the hour. The Sony Open in Hawaii taking place this weekend. Our weekly visit with Joe Vitale at 8.15. We're also going to talk to Polo Asensio, the Cardinal Spanish radio broadcaster who interviewed Yadier Molina. And Yadier had some interesting things to say. And also Adam Teicher from the Kansas City Chiefs coverage of on ESPN.com. So we're looking forward to that. As we mentioned, Blues game day. Blues already have a win under their belt. And Craig Berube and his team did a great job defensively against Colorado. Now you have to play them in back-to-back games. I think it's everybody that's out there. They all, their mindset when they're playing against McKinnon line is to, you know, understand puck management is very important. Um, checking all the little things. Uh, I think that uh, the O'Reilly line did a great job, along with Krug and Branko, along with Scandell and Falk, who were out there against uh, McKinnon, too. They all did a great job. I think they they understand that when you're playing against uh, a great player like that, you know you gotta you gotta make sure you're doing things right with the puck, and you really have to check hard. And you need all five guys uh, on the ice to you know to check because he's just too good of a player. So checking, take the puck away. Puck management, keep it so that he can't take it away from you. Just frustrate him. <laughs> Pretty simple. <laughs> That's when you know you're dealing with a player on a different level when you call it the McKinnon line. You don't even yeah. acknowledge the other two amazing <laughs> players that are, are playing with him on that line. It's just about Nathan McKinnon. But a lot of the, the Avs' success is going to start and or end with him because he's that good. And he mentioned the play of Falk and Scandella the other night, and we really didn't touch on it. But both of those players statistically had really good games. Is Justin Falk going to be Alex Petrangelo? No. But can he serve a really good defensive purpose on this team? And hopefully he'll get back to what he was offensively in Carolina. I think he, he's a more than serviceable player. He might not be a $7.5 million player, but he's more than serviceable. Hopefully he can take another step towards that paycheck, towards the $7.5 million player. He's 
hopefully going to be better than we've seen from him. And Mm -hmm. that's a positive for the Blues. But there was a lot of great things coming out of that game on Wednesday night. The offensive production, goaltending. But I think, as we just heard from Craig Berube, the defensive effort, the way they were able to shut down a Nathan McKinnon, the way they were able to be so stifling for the speed and the skill that the Avs had was one of the big takeaways that I had. And it's going to be really interesting to see how Colorado responds coming out tonight. And it's really nice when you have guys that aren't perceived as your top six forwards that are scoring, whether it's Cairo or Clifford or a couple from Oscar Sundquist. And the depth that the Blues have is the reason that Baruby thinks that his team can succeed. Well, we need everybody to produce. You know, that's the way we're built, and uh, that's the way we've done it last year and the year before. Everybody chips in when they can and help out, and O'Reilly's line did a great job in McKinnon's line. It's a tough matchup for them, but they did a good job there, and so that's just, the, that's just as important as uh, getting goals and assists. He's going to keep pounding that into our head. So is Doug Armstrong, that for the Blues, it's all about the depth. And as much as we talk about people like Nathan McKinnon and people like Connor McDavid and people like Austin Matthews and even Vladimir Tarasenko, the way the Blues are built, they don't need that guy. It's always nice to have that guy, but they don't need that guy. Which makes them a scary team. That they don't need that guy. That you can remove Vladimir Tarasenko from your top six and you're fine. That you can move on from an Alex Petrangelo and you're fine. You're beating the prohibitive Stanley Cup favorite four to one Mm -hmm. because of all the depth you have. It's death by a million cuts. How much faith, Michelle Smallman, do you have in the United States Immigration and Naturalization Service to get Mike Hoffman in our lineup? Should that be our top priority as a country? to get Mike Hoffman in the Blues lineup tonight. Should we just scrap everything we had planned for the show today and just call them all day long until we get through and plead the case? Our government has nothing going on. (laughs) Why not get Mike Hoffman in the lineup? Yeah, how much faith do I have in the government to push something (laughs) through quickly? Hmm. (laughs) A lot of times, things like this, Randy, they can take a while. Yeah, we know. <laughs> we know. We know. But hopefully maybe, maybe somebody knows somebody. Somebody knows a guy. They can make a call say, hey, we kind of need him. Yeah, that'd, that'd be good. The Blues are obviously 1-0. But Robert Bortuzzo sees this game against Colorado tonight. And then a four-game homestand. And, man, getting off to a good start, especially in such a short season, makes a difference. You know, it was the first game in a while. It wasn't perfect. But um, I thought we were able to establish what we do out there and then brought a little bit of a physical tone and yeah like I said just gaining that confidence early in the season is, is big for everyone and, and myself and um, guys around each other made it very easy to communicate and um, I think that's when we're at our best is when we're supporting each other and as a back end I thought we were, we were pretty solid and we're just going to look to build on that and as a team our work ethic was um, you know at a very high level and at the end of the day that's going to carry us a long way as well. So the Blues and the Avalanche tonight. And the Blues, by the way, Michelle, will not have Sammy Blaze suspended for two games for that hit on Devon Taves early in the game the other night. I didn't think that it was anything worse than a normal hockey play. Same. I was very very surprised to see um, what the punishment was. I didn't think the punishment fit the crime. Yeah, what they're calling it is an illegal check to the head of Colorado forward Taves, defenseman Taves. But I, I think what the issue that they have is in the NHL office George Paris and that group they just don't want any head contact so if you if you get a guy it's kind of like touching a quarterback's helmet mm-hmm. in the NFL if that happens it's going to happen intent doesn't matter no not at all 
A couple of other things. Big sports day. Our friend Barton Kilcoin from the Two Fox reporting last night that Mike Shannon, Cardinals veteran broadcaster, is going to retire after the 2021 season. This will be his 50th year in the booth, and then he's going to shut her down. 50 years in the booth. Sad to think that you won't hear Mike Shannon's voice past this season, but what a career. What a huge piece of the St. Louis sports puzzle. When you look at what he did for the team, playing in the World Series like he did during in the 60s, nine years with the team, a native of St. Louis, could have played football, well, did go to Mizzou to play football, and then the Cardinals signed him, but People say, Michelle, that as a quarterback, he could have been a Heisman Trophy winner, that he was that good of an athlete. That's unfair. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, unfair that some people have that much talent. And a, a great, fantastic career in the Cardinal booth. And this will be season number 50 and the last season in the booth for Mike Shannon. According to John Morosi of MLB.com, the Yankees are closing in on finalizing a deal with DJ LeMahieu. It was just last week that there was a report that the Yankees and LeMahieu were $25 million away from each other for a contract. Well, you know, $5 million here, $5 million there. All of a sudden, you can put something together. It's no big deal. I wonder which side they're closer on. If you're 25 million away, are we closer to the Yankees' desired number? Are we closer to LeMahieu's desired number? Or is it dead in the middle? My guess is that because the Toronto Blue Jays had interest, that it's probably closer to what LeMahieu wanted. That'd be just my guess. And I wonder if that's going to give false hope to a lot of other baseball players who haven't seen a lot of action, who want to command a certain price in a precarious market. Yeah, dear Molina? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but if you're seeing some of these guys, some of your peers, whether it's a Hugh Darvish or a Francisco Lindor or a DJ LeMayhew, while they're on a different caliber, some of these guys, than a lot of the people that are available, players don't think like that. Athletes no. don't think like that. They think, well, if he could get his money, I can get mine. MLB has hired former Cubs president Theo Epstein to be their consultant for Rob Manfred regarding play of baseball on the field. Theo saying it's an honor to assist in the efforts by Major League Baseball to improve the on-field product. Hopefully he can help. So is this the Jerry Jones deal where he's the shadow commish? Yeah, basically. (laughs) So Rob Manfred is still the commissioner, but Theo is the shadow commish. They just gave him a different title. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Because that's what it seems like he's being groomed for. You would think that he can do a better job, although if they hired you or me to be a shadow commissioner, we could do a better job than Rob Manfred, too. We could make more people happy, except for the owners. Except for the owners, which is a huge part of it. Football, yesterday we talked about the fact that the Jacksonville Jaguars were closing in on a deal to hire Urban Meyer, former Ohio State coach, as their head coach. They're doing so. Meyer apparently going to hire former St. Louis Rams head coach Scott Linehan as his offensive coordinator. Randy, your thoughts? Scott Linehan's been a really good offensive coordinator in the league. I don't know if the changes to the league, if he's caught up to those. When he was with Minnesota when he was with Miami. He was a really good offensive coordinator. But the game has changed, and he's going to have to change with it. Now, he might not have to as much because of Trevor Lawrence, who can do things outside his scheme. I'm interested in that, and I'm also interested to see what uh, Chris Ash does. And I I believe Ash is going to be the defensive coordinator. We'd read that Urban was putting together a staff, and that's the start of it. 
Another staff that's coming together, the new Jet staff, led by 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala, and he's bringing along Mike LaFleur, Matt LaFleur's brother, to be the offensive coordinator with the Jets. Love that it's a five-year deal. Love that he's going to get time to build something. I think this was a good hire for them. Hopefully he brings some stability. Hopefully he brings a culture, a winning culture. And just look at that guy. You don't want to push back on him. (laughs) And I was looking at the Jets roster. Man, they do not have much talent. They have a lot of work to do to get to be good. And by the way, if I were them, I think I would keep Sam Darnold. Because right now the market for Sam is not great. And I think they're better off. And Bart Scott made a point this morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. Get Penny Sewell from Oregon, the, the, the tackle, and protect Sam Darnold and start building with him. Because if you get Justin Fields and you don't have an offensive line to protect him, you're going to get him killed too. Right. That's one thing that I hope owners realize when it comes to players like a Sam Darnold. You don't really know what he is because you have not given him the tools to succeed. You thought so Mm -hmm. highly of him that you wanted to take him in the first round. Third pick. Now help him out. Give him some weapons. Give him some protection. Give him some stability. Give him a culture. Give him a place where he can settle in and learn and show you what he can do. We have football this weekend here on 101 ESPN. The Rams and the Packers tomorrow at 335. John Wolford will be out for the Rams, so it will be Jared Goff to be their starting quarterback. And he's still, he's only 13 days removed, Michelle, from that thumb injury, the thumb surgery. Yeah. And the high tomorrow in Green Bay, I believe, is scheduled to be 23 degrees. 23 degrees. Yeah. Jared Goff, cold weather game. not And dealing with that, that post-op. Yeah. Not looking great for him. Not go, great. Pack, go. Diana Rossini of ESPN reporting that the Falcons have hired or are, have offered Titans offensive coordinator Arthur Smith their head coaching job and... The other game tomorrow, tomorrow night, Baltimore and Buffalo at 7.15. Snow for that game. Love snow games. Yeah, it's going to be great. Don't you love back-to-back weekends where you can just settle in, watch football all day? Yeah. Eat a lot of bad food, not have to answer to anybody. And, Michelle, the weather here is, if I'm not mistaken, going to be miserable. So it's a perfect day to sit inside, right? Perfect. Great. Let's see. Tomorrow, a cloudy high of 37. Sunday, cloudy high of 36. So... Yeah, just sit inside, listen to the games on 101 ESPN, and you can uh, sync up the sound on 101 ESPN with your television. That's always the play. Mute the game, turn up the radio. Definitely. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got a little game of Peak and Pit on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's time for Peak or Pit. You need to get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle and Randy with you. And in this segment, our highlight of the week and our low light of the week, our peak and our pit. Michelle, what was your peak of the week? I think most of us in St. Louis might have had the same peak. Mm-hmm. St. Louis Blues hockey is back. 9.30 Wednesday night. That was our peak, wasn't it? it? Well, I would say the peak was around midnight when the game when was over. Won, yeah. When they won. But we had been missing Blues hockey. We'd been missing local sports. Of course, we'd had college sports. We've been talking about the NHL. But it's so different when there's a St. Louis in, in front of the name. And to get to watch this team come out, we had a lot of questions about them. And see how talented they are and how capable they are of being good right off the bat versus a strong opponent. What's better than that? 
that. That's definitely my peak of the week. That's a great peak. My pit, Michelle. Oh, is, we're going pit. We're going straight to pit. Um, yeah, because I, I'm with you. Oh, that's your peak too. We're the yeah, same. Great. Yeah, same same peak. No doubt about it. Uh, my my pit is uh, weather.com. Because throughout last week and early in this week, they were telling us that it was going to be sunny and 50 or 55 for the last couple of days. It's been miserable for the last two days. They said on a throne of lies. I was thinking golf. I was thinking bicycle rides. I was thinking fun days. And it has been miserable. So my pit, weather.com, this one's on you, is uh, is weather.com. I'm not even blaming the weather. I'm just blaming weather.com for telling me it was going to be nice. Meteorologists have such a tough job. Well, it's the easiest job in the world. Well, they ha- they deal with the science of it. They they go to school. They learn about weather patterns. Yeah. They learn about all this stuff. You can spend so much time poring over maps and looking at the Doppler and all of these things. And what you report could change in the blink of an eye. What just they say, are, cold Michelle. Front, cold front. What they are is they're gamblers that don't face any consequences for losing. So should we change our careers? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm... People got paid for telling me that it was going to be sunny in 55 the last two days. Yeah, you left your coat at home, you packed your golf bags in the car, right, right. and no one is paying for this. Exactly. <laughs> no one is paying for the, your disappointment. The, there are no consequences for them. Shouldn't I mean, if, if you're a gambler and you're right 50% of the time, you're breaking even, which is not a good thing, because if that's your living, you aren't making any money. So if you're a meteorologist and you're 50%, Shouldn't you be a little bit better than that? If your boss calls you in and you're, you're a media, meteorologist and they say, well, you've gotten the forecast wrong most days this week. You say, hey, cold front, weather, unpredictable weather patterns. Right. Or do you just say global warming? Oh, yeah, you could do that. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah Climate cl- change. Climate change. Climate change, man. I don't know what to tell you. It's not on me. So this, <laughs> if you, should we start doing weather reports and put together our resume so yeah, we can get paid to do that? Yeah, just point at, the, point at the map and say, okay, here's what's happening. Tanner, how about you? What's your peak and pit of the week? So my peak also with the blues, but... New show comes out today, so I'm looking forward to that. Get Hopefully it's good. My pit of the week is just kind of like you mentioned, kind of the gloomy weather. I, I like going to my uncle's on Sundays, watching football, playing some basketball. Too cold, too cloudy. No way this week. I thought your peak would have been the Rams win. Uh, it's there, but, you know, Blues hockey kind of uh, – plus, I'll be honest, I think the Rams are going to get smoked this weekend. I do, too. Me, too. I don't think the lucky shirt can carry them that far. <laughs> 65780, what do you have as your peak and pit of the week, Tanner? From the 636, my peak is the snow that's supposed to come today. My pit, most of my family works at MoDOT. Oh, yeah, oh, so they're going to be out and about. Up to yeah. an inch, I think, of accumulation, uh, according to those forecasters that we just lambasted. What time? Is In the afternoon and evening is what they're saying. Great. Looking forward to that. Yeah. They only get it right when it's bad. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> From the 618, my peak happens tonight with a fire, a lot of McUltras, and a pizza. My pit oh. was when the alarm went off Thursday morning after watching the Blues dominate on Wednesday. Oh, yeah, that Thursday morning wake-up call. Rough. I was energized. Were you when the alarm went off? Because once I popped out of bed and I started moving around and my brain wiped a little of the cobwebs off and I thought, ooh, blues hockey. Yeah, we get to talk about blues hockey today. That's going to be great. Then I had a little pep in my step. But when that alarm went off and it's pitch black outside and you're really tired, yeah, that's a pit. My alarm is really super annoying. So I'm up, boom, I, I pop up. What is it? Can we hear it? 
I'll see if I can get it for you. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's super annoying though. Mine sounds like a fire drill. It just, <laughs> really? It's it's very disconcerting. And it, I would assume that that's a good thing if you're trying to wake up in the morning, right? Yeah. But I just hit snooze. <laughs> I'll just say, mm, stop. All right. I'll, I'll try to set this up. Also, I don't have it right one, one more thing from our texture. I appreciate their balance a pizza and a McUltra. You're saving calories to consume more. Respect. Yeah, big time. That, that is good. It's, <laughs> that's just smart, isn't it? Play for the tie, always. Yeah. Okay, hold on here. You got it? Almost. We're almost there, Michelle. I just got to do one thing. I got to okay. click, boom, and then uh, we'll just, uh, you, you want to count it on here? To, uh, we got 10 seconds still before it goes off again. 10 I, seconds? What did you have to do? Set a timer? I had to do that, yeah, because I I forgot how mm, to set my Androids. alarm and tell everybody <laughs> in the world what my alarm is. How many seconds left? Uh, should go off momentarily. Three, two... That just, it just wakes me up. I pop oh, that's up. not bad. I, I think it is. I that's thought it was going to be like a rooster or me something. Me too. That sounds yeah. like a video I, game. I pop up and it's super loud. It, it does kind of sound like a video game, doesn't it? Yeah, I would be th- I would be thinking it, I was in a dream and I got a high score. I always... Ms. Pac-Man. I, I pop up. No problem at all. Wow, look at you. From the 314, my peak, I'm a teacher. No school day today, no school on Monday, so four-day weekend. Nice. Congratulations, yeah, Martin Luther a- King Day awesome. on Monday. The peak, of course, is going back next week. Oh, the pit? Or the pit, sorry. Yes, yeah. the pit. I was going to say, is the peak going back? Because I don't think that's the peak. Maybe, <laughs> I love my kids. Maybe they just love teaching. They have yeah. a real passion for academics. <laughs> From the 314, my peak is the Ravens continue to shock the AFC. I'll tell you what, they're legit. They had the biggest point differential in the league this year, better than Kansas City's point differential. And we have several big time Bills fans that are pretty concerned. In our building, we have several big time Bills fans that are pretty concerned about the Ravens. That's why, while it's a peak that they're doing good, mm-hmm. did they really shock? The AFC, a lot of people looked at the way they were playing heading into the playoffs. They were rolling. Lamar was fine-tuned. He looked ready to go. They had that chip on their shoulder about getting it done this season. I think a lot of people picked them to advance. And we said that they were our, our sneaky biggest threat yeah, that was the entering that you don't the playoffs. Play. No yeah, doubt about so it. I, don't, I don't even know if a lot of people are really surprised by it. From the 618, my peak is I just finished painting my whole house. Wow. Outside. That's very impressive. I wonder if it's outside or inside. Either way, congrats. Yeah. My pit, I need a new water heater. Oh. Yeah, water heaters can get expensive, too. That's the thing about home ownership. It never ends. No. The things that you need to do, it never ends. And I, I would not be responsible enough to do things that you, you don't have to do, but you should. Like, I, I would... <laughs> I, I'm a reactionary homeowner, and my wife is an aggressive homeowner. So we get things done that don't need to be done, so we're always ahead of the game. Oh, so you're the Cardinal, she's the Blues. Uh, Yeah, there you go. Exactly. That's right. Well, that's a good way to put it. Thank you. Thanks, Tanner. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up. The Sony Open is underway in Hawaii, and how important is a golf glove? We're going to ask our buddy Jay Delsing with his weekly visit with us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. And coming up on Sunday morning, you'll be able to hear golf with Jay Delsing here on 101 ESPN. Jay does a great job of covering the golf scene, has great interviews every weekend, and he joins us each Friday here on Carriker and Smallman on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Hey, guys. Good morning. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing well. Last week we talked about the Century uh, Championship and about playing in Hawaii. Jay, because you've been out there, you've been on the tour and played in Hawaii, if somebody is thinking about making a golf trip to Hawaii, do you have a recommendation in regards to course or area? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, if you go to Maui, you know, because the, the, there's so many different islands, Randy, but if, he, if anybody's going to do that, please call me because I want to go with you. <laughs> I am so, I mean, thank God the Blues started, and what a great way to start. But, you know, there's no action in, in MLB. The Hot Stove League is, like, you know, gone, and um, I would love to uh, to do that. But anyway, Randy and Michelle, the, the island of Maui has got some great courses. The Kapalua uh, the um, plantation course, there's the bay course, um, and those are actually, they're pricey, but they are public and you can get on those. There's also a course down at uh, Kaanapali, um, which is just right down the road from uh, those two. So you could go to Maui and have an absolutely wonderful time and play some great golf. And so all the islands have some, I, I know Kauai has Kauai Lagoons, which is, um, there's a Kieli course and I can't remember the name of the other uh, on the, uh, I think it's now a Sheridan Resort, but it is absolutely spectacular. And then if you wind up in Waikiki, there's a lot of public golf courses. There's a, uh, there's just, a, there's, it's not like Florida, guys, where you feel like there's a golf course on every corner, mm-hmm. but there's, there's plenty of golf to be played over there. Yeah, pack our bags. We're coming with you, Jay. That sounds awesome. Oh, my gosh. Can <laughs> we do a remote? I mean, you know, let's, we'll cancel my show. You guys is way more important, but guys, let's go. I like where your head's at. Well, Jay, the name of the game in sports is copycat. As soon as somebody does something innovative and different and has success, everyone tries to follow suit. And it makes me think about Bryson DeChambeau. He increased his distance gains. Everybody paid attention to what he did in the offseason. But do you think it might benefit golfers to not try to mimic what Bryson DeChambeau did? You know, Michelle, that's a great point. I was wondering when we talk about him because, first of all, you got to remember, Bryson DeChambeau is really, really good. Not that all the other players on tour aren't really good, but Bryson DeChambeau was a really great player before that won the U.S. Amateur, just had a storied amateur career. But what he embarked on is so difficult, and it takes a commitment that many, many players on tour would not do. I mean, to, to morph your body, he, he he almost looks deformed the way his body's kind of, his head looks so small. You know, I think we got used to seeing guys when they worked out and they, they'd use some help that their head would get big and everything proportionally got big. But Brayton wears his little Kango hat uh, <laughs> from Puma on top of his head and everything looks so, so disproportionate. But um, what he does is, is just incredible. First of all, Michelle, you know, he's using the clubs that are one length. His irons are all one length. He's the only guy on the PGA Tour that's done that. Now, that concept for golf is not brand new, but it's never been popular. Wilson came out with a set of those in the 70s, and I think uh, Bobby Jones, I had Paul Azinger on the show, and he said how excited we talked about going to the Masters and how cool the Masters was, and Paul said he remembered walking through these corridors and with his you know his jaw would just drop with all the different things there 
and Bryson talked about the set of clubs that he saw that Bobby Jones used, and they were all one length. And Paul's like, hell, I've been there, you know, 47 times. I never even noticed that. And <laughs> Bryson DeChambeau went one time and noticed. So what? it's really interesting. And, Michelle, I expect uh, – I've read about a player on the European tour that's that's trying to do that. His name escapes me now. But I, I would expect it because um, – it's going to work. And Bryson DeChambeau is without, without question, other than Tiger, the most interesting guy on tour. He's everybody's trying to kind of check it out and see what he's going to do. Jay, you, you've got some great social media channels and I, I love your reviews on your YouTube channel. And one of the things that I think most of us as amateur golfers don't think about is the glove. And you have several glove reviews on your YouTube channel for, for Jay Delsing. What, makes what's important about looking for and purchasing a glove okay randy i that's when you know you're in the weeds right (laughs) and i love the fact that you you love this and the the listeners are probably you know nodding off right now but the the feel of that glove on your hand makes such a difference and so there's a couple things that that i wanted to cover and that's why i did that because when i grew up if I didn't ever wear a glove because they were expensive and I'd find some gloves on the ground and I would wear them if they fit, if they kind of fit, you know, and I, I started noticing the difference. And then once I started playing at different levels, I was you know, given some of this equipment and the Titleist players glove is super soft and it just feels like none other to me. But I also realized that some people are on a budget and they're not going to go ahead and spend 25 bucks every time their glove gets dirty. You know, and so um, it really depends on what you want. If you want a durable, I, I covered all those. So if you want a mm-hmm. durability, you know, we talked about some of the, the less expensive kind of thicker gloves. But if you want that pure, soft leather feel, man, the Titleist Players Club was hard to beat. Jay, we know um, a lot of golfers get custom fit clubs. And most people, when they're shopping for a glove, you buy that off the rack. It's a one size hopefully fits most. But when you're on the tour, is that something you get customized as well? Oh my gosh, Michelle, you can't believe the customization. So one of the issues that I'm interested in watching this year is John Rahm changed equipment. He, he's been number two player in the world with tailor-made equipment, and he is um, a young Spanish guy. He's got a lot of fire and a lot of, uh, a, a lot of fun to watch play. And he, he made a complete swap over to Callaway. And when I was playing, of course, I was kind of a dinosaur because I hated to change, but he – uh, he he changed the ball. He changed everything. And I thought, God, this is really going to be hard for him. He wound up finishing 20th this week. I mean, 20 under par, 7th this week at Century. He didn't even miss a beat. So what they have now, Michelle, is they have the capabilities of taking what you played and doing all of these measurements, weight and things like that, same type of steel for your irons and and um, and just duplicating them. And then putting their logo and their and their um, uh, their brand on it, and the same with the golf balls. You can get on TrackMan and get all of these different uh, numbers from the computer, and it'll spit out a ball that's just made for your swing, and your swing speed, your launch angle, and all that stuff. It's 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 absolutely remarkable. So that so the question is yes, and it goes into such depth that it's it, it'll spin your head. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, Jay, a lot of people talked about the Tiger Woods documentary that debuted on HBO. Did you get a chance to watch it? And if so, what did you think of it? You know what, Michelle? I read a few of the, the, uh, the, some of the reviews and things, and I did not watch it yet. I'm really excited to watch it. I've got it. I had, oh, man, several people reach out to me and ask me what I thought, but I, I just not have not had the time. But 
I understand it. It's pretty aggressive, and it's not necessarily uh, they don't pull any punches. Jay, when you were on the tour at the same time as Tiger, what was the perception of him? Oh, Randy, he had he he knew things and had things that the rest of us did not know. He was like playing poker with a guy that had all the aces. You know, he 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 was he was longer than everybody else by a mile. He was the best putter by a long shot, and he hit his irons better than than any of us. The only thing that he didn't do better was hit his driver. It was longer, but he sure as hell didn't hit it straighter. But he also proved to us, when I first got on tour, you guys, I was one of the longer guys out there. And guys like Andy North and J.C. Sneed and um, uh, Bob Golby, they, they helped me say, you know, you've got to you've got to rein this thing back and figure out how to play from the fairway. Well, Tiger, the, the best two players on the PGA Tour in the last 25 years have been, you know, Tiger and Phil, and they can't, they don't hit half their fairways. It's just a completely different mindset, and the equipment has a lot to do with it because the golf ball when we played was this blotta ball that when we hit it in the rough, the uh, the grooves on our irons just wouldn't grip the ball, so we hit flyers all the time. And these guys just don't do that because of the equipment. It seems like from a personal standpoint, there's a lot of guys that like each other, maybe some cliques or groups, and the clubhouse is kind of like a club. And I got the impression from watching the doc that maybe he just didn't fit into the club initially. Yeah, you know, and when you – so, Randy, my company took a group up to the Ryder Cup at the Team when we won, um, and Davis Love was – our captain and I have was texting Davis where we're there and he said, you know, bring your group on by. It couldn't have been nicer. We didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't want to get in the way of these guys, what they had earned and everything. But when I watched Tiger really didn't even look like he knew how to have fun. You guys, it was every, it was just all of this. And, and I don't know if it's because growing up like Tiger Woods and at the age of 21, he had so much notoriety and his life had changed so much that he lost out on all that. But, it's not that he wasn't part of the group. It's just that he just didn't look like he fit in and didn't look like he knew how to have fun. And um, I, I, it's, it's an odd thing. I mean, when I, when I got on tour, Randy, there weren't a lot of warm fuzzies going out to me. Hmm. The older guys were not really all that excited that this new wave of kids came out and were looking to take their jobs. It just really wasn't like that. Jay, we will hear you on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, Golf with Jay Delsing. And we always love having you on this show on Friday mornings as well. Have a great day and a great weekend. You too, guys. Thanks for having me. See you. That's our friend Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Again, you can go to his website, jdelsinggolf.com, and hear him Sunday morning at 9 here on 101 ESPN. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. A little game of Take It or Leave It coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, Adrian Peterson, running back for now the Detroit Lions, has made more than $100 million during the course of his career. Some big money. Yesterday, he was in court. Well, he wasn't, but his 
being was in court, and he was told by a judge to pay an $8.3 million defaulted loan. He wasn't represented because his lawyer, Scott Philbin, who had represented him in the past, didn't show up because he hadn't been paid because Ooh. Adrian Peterson didn't pay him. Uh, Peterson has multiple loans out that he has defaulted on, has not yet filed for bankruptcy, but by all accounts, after making $100 million, is broke. He's made $102.8 million in 14 seasons in the NFL, but is broke. Take it or leave it. You feel sorry for him. I'm going to take it because a lot of people that get money like that, they don't have a guiding force to tell them what to do with it. Or maybe he did and he didn't listen. But I've seen too many documentaries like the 30 for 30 broke Mm -hmm. with athletes who come from a certain environment and have never been taught how to manage money well. And they don't know what to do with it. And they're like a kid in a candy store when they finally get money and they're spending, spending, spending. And then that becomes addictive. And yeah, that sucks that you would make a hundred million dollars and have nothing to show for it. I think over the course of 14 years, you have to learn something. And by the way, he has filed a complaint against his former investment advisor, Morgan Stanley. They're pretty reputable. So at some point, I think he probably should have learned something. He borrowed this money, by the way, to pay off other loans that he had taken out for investments. So at some point, you just have to listen to the people that know what they're talking about. So I I don't feel bad for the guy. At all. I wish he would have kept the money. I wish he wasn't broke. But he's the one that spent it. He spent $100 million. If you gave him an itemized list of everything he bought... With that money, how many of those things do you think he would say worth it? Oh, I, I would think probably a very, very small percentage. Maybe you 10, think? 10%? Yeah. House, cars, things like that? We've got a lot of cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah I don't sad. know if they're worth it. That's... And child support. Yeah, that too, that too. So, Randy, a lot of action yesterday in the NFL on the head coaching front. We know some of those dominoes have begun to fell. We talked at the top of the show, Robert Sala heading to the Jets, Urban Meyer finalizing things to go down to Jacksonville and be the head coach of the Jags. Both interesting hires. Both guys noted for culture. Robert Sala, a guy who can bring a culture and coach and lead a group of men. A lot of people saying that's what the Jets need is somebody like him to establish a team mentality. Urban Meyer throughout his time in college, not noted for fostering great environments amongst his players. True. Take it or leave it. That's going to be a big factor. And Robert Sala gets the Jets to the playoffs before Urban Meyer gets the Jags to the playoffs. I'm going to leave it because I think that Meyer has two things going for him. Number one, I think his potential to get there is closer with Trevor Lawrence being added to the mix. And they actually do have a couple of good players on the Jaguars. But I think the other thing is in an offensive league, he's an offensive mind. And Sala is hiring a very good offensive line uh, mind in Mike LaFleur. But I think the difference is going to be that Urban Meyer has he's an offensive savant. He has abilities that Sala doesn't have in what you need in today's NFL. I'm very curious to see how Urban Meyer adjusts to coaching grown men who mm-hmm. are there as a profession. It's a lot. It's very different than college. I think one of his problems was treating college people like grown men and letting them be of their own volition. And now, hopefully, if he has a guy that shoots somebody in the face, he'll just cut him. 
rather than play him. You'd hope. Yeah. You don't just, you, you don't have a guy shoot a guy in the face and then just say, hang in there. Randy. <laughs> Took me a second. <laughs> Randy. Tanner, what do you got for us? From the, <laughs> from the 573, take it or leave it. Yachty seems like the kind of guy, if he were to retire, he would pull a Brett Favre and come back if someone needed him. I'll take that. I'll take it, but I don't think that there would be a place for him. If he retired, maybe he's gone a year and then decides to come back. If the market is the way it is now for him, how many teams are going to be chomping at the bit to say, you've been out a year? Sure, we'll give you a contract. No, that's not going to happen. What I'm thinking, though, is if we get to June and Yasmani Grandal suffers an injury and Tony needs a catcher, then he calls up Yachty and says, Yachty, can you come back for me? And he does. So he's not on the sidelines long. Right. Okay. And that, I don't, that I could ride. With. I don't know if the baseball rules allow that once you retire, if you can come back during the season for a different team. So it would probably behoove Yachty to just not retire and just to remain a free agent just in case. So according to the athletics, Ken Rosenthal, the Mets are working on an agreement with Brad Hand. Take it or leave it with all these moves the Mets are doing. They're destined to have somewhat of a quote-unquote failure of a season, be worse than we think. So some of those Dodgers teams write a lot of checks, can't get it done? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to leave it because I think the moves that they've made have been sensible moves. I don't think they're putting together a group that doesn't fit together. I mean, they needed a guy like Lindor. And when you add a Carrasco to the mix, you you add to the depth and you needed depth in your starting rotation. They need to fix their bullpen. They've got some pretty nice guys down there. They've got Diaz. They've got Familia. They added Trevor May. You had a lefty like Brad Hand. I think you've got a lot of good pieces that you needed. Yeah, I agree. I think that they're going to be good. Do I think they're going to win the World Series? Not likely. Maybe in a few years, though. But I, I do think that they're going to be good. We're going to see instant results. I agree. And I think they'll compete in that division. I, think I agree. That, uh, with Atlanta, with the, the Nationals, if Philly gets Real Muto back. I don't think they're trying to kill a fly with a sledgehammer here, the, the Mets. I think they're doing a pretty good job of just putting together a unit. From the 636, former Cardinal Jose Martinez is a Met. Take it or leave it. He's the biggest X factor for them this season. I'm going to leave that. More than Lindor? <laughs> Yeah, I think Lindor is a, yeah. probably a bigger X Factor. Love Jose Martinez, yeah. but, but no, I, I would put him a rung below yeah. Lindor. And actually, if you, if you want, because you expect a guy like Lindor to be great, right? If I'm going to give them an X Factor, a guy that, okay, we don't know whether he's going to be good or bad or mediocre, I think it's Noah Syndergaard. Because we don't know how healthy he's going to be. If Syndergaard comes back and takes the ball 30 times, and you're talking... DeGrom, Carrasco, Syndergaard, Stroman as your top four, you really got something. There's a big difference between having a a big four and a big three. Yeah, what is Thor going to be? Good point. From the 314, take it or leave it. Urban Meyer should bring Tim Tebow to be a part of his staff. Totally take it. Like his quarterbacking staff. From a strategy standpoint, you mean? Tebow's only 32. Put him on the field. I just wonder how... 
the other players, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this, yeah. would react to him. Yeah, that's a good point. That because might he's be. going to bring all of the media attention no matter where he goes. He has a certain type of personality. He's a leader, but he's unwavering in the way that he approaches things. And I just wonder how the quarterbacks would look at somebody like him who really only had a modicum of success in the NFL but got all of this hype surrounding him. I just don't know if he would be received in the way in which Urban would want him to be received. That's a great point. And you're only an hour away from Gainesville. Yeah. So not only the media, but all the fans. You're right. It probably would be too much. So, yeah, stay away from that. Big distraction. Good point. And if you're a Trevor Lawrence, why would you want to bring somebody in who's going to compete with Trevor Lawrence from a media perspective? Let I Gardner w- Minshew be the guy. Yeah, I would, just, I would just let Trevor Lawrence be the star. Yeah. And if you bring in Tim Tebow, he's going to be, it's going to be two stars, 1A and 1B. Right. From the 618, take it or leave it, we see another goal from Oscar Sundquist tonight. I'm going to leave that. I think Hoffman will be back in there. Sonny will be down on the fourth line. I'm going to I'm going to leave it. I'm going to say we don't get one tonight. But take it or leave it, we get one from Hoffman tonight. I'll take that. Okay, me too. Take it or leave it, the Blues score four or more goals tonight. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to say three. I'm going to say they win this game 3-2. I'm going to leave it. I think it's going to be lower scoring tonight. I'm going to say the Blues win it 2-1. to one. All right. So, But we do have a Blues victory. That's Correct. really all that matters. Correct. Thank you, Tanner. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for take it or leave it. Next up, could Yadier Molina really have it in him to retire? We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. In St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Carriker and Smallman. And coming up at 9.15, we're going to talk to Polo Asensio, Cardinal Spanish radio broadcaster, who interviewed Yadier Molina for La Vida Baseball. And Yadi said, when God says, if he wants, if it's his will that I can come back, I'll come back. And if not, I'll retire happy and with my head held high. Yadier Molina referring to the idea that he may not play in 2021 and very well could retire. And Buster Olney of ESPN was on yesterday with BK and Ferrario and was asked about Yadier's idea of possibly retiring. Can the two sides find middle ground? And I would say this, too, that when I saw those comments from from Yadier, my thought was, you know what? Uh, He is is, as stubborn as any person that I've met since I've covered baseball. And if there's going to be someone who's going to say, either you give me the numbers I want or I'm going home, I take that ser- more seriously than I, you know, coming from him than I would a lot of other teams. He also is perhaps the most competitive person that we've ever mm-hmm. covered. And yes, he's stubborn. And I could see him not relenting in any way. If you're not going to give me the two-year deal, I'll walk. But I also know that this is a person that eats sleeps, dreams, breathes baseball. And 
has not only that competitive fire, but a chip on his shoulder to prove that he can still do it at this level. If he's ready to play for another two years and thinks that he could do that, I can't see him walking away. It's it's going to be interesting to see which part of his personality wins out if he's not able to get the exact terms that he wants. Does the competitive fire win or does the stubbornness and the ego win? Which all comes back to the same thing. It's it's competitive on the field and competitive off the field. He he wants to win this negotiation clearly. And I, I'm interested to hear what the tone was for Yachty in the interview. Was was it resignation? Okay, well, if they aren't going to give me what I want, I'm, I'm gonna, I might retire. Or was it anger? Was it if I don't get what I want and mm-hmm. God tells me to retire, I'm going to. I'm interested to hear what the the tone of Yadi was in this interview. I wonder if the fans are in his mind at all. If he wants a farewell tour at all, because. Obviously, that was taken from him last year. Mm. And I wonder if he's thinking about... Because he says he can retire with his head held high. And absolutely, there's no one that Cardinal Nation has as much respect for as Yadier Molina. He's right there. He's tied for first for Mm -hmm. players who have put on that uniform that Cardinal fans respect. He has earned the right to have the fans give him a standing ovation. There's few places in sports that honor their players the way the best fans in baseball do. And to have somebody who's been so iconic and who's been such a champion who and who's been a cornerstone of your franchise for so long, not get that moment, not get the fans showing gratitude to him and him taking that in and acknowledging what he's done and what he's accomplished. I wonder if that's something that he thinks about. And whether or not he's with the Cardinals, as competitive as he is, you've got what the Mets have done this offseason. You've got what the Padres have done this offseason. In addition to beating the Cardinals in the playoffs last year, you've got the Dodgers, who are the world champions. You have the Braves, who are a great young team. And Buster says there's a pretty wide gap between the Cardinals and those teams. I think there's a pretty good gap right now. Um, But that's not to say that, you know, that they could couldn't be a factor because let's face it the National League Central uh, context is so forgiving for the Cardinals like there has been the fact that there's been absolutely no movement with the National League Central teams other than to look to sell in the case of the Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds and the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Brewers really makes it a lot easier for the Cardinals uh, and the question of whether or not they're going to contend but in terms of who's a great team Dodgers are the best team in baseball, in my opinion. The Padres are the second-best team. The Braves have won the division repeatedly. They have tremendous depth. They've got young star position players. They can score runs. They have Freddie Freeman. Um, And I think the Mets are not done. Like, if you told me at the end of the winter that they also land George Springer, that would not be a shock to me, and that would be a team that could win the World Series. Now, Michelle, there's absolutely no doubt that what Buster says is accurate. A lot of people don't like the idea that the Cardinals could essentially at the beginning of the season be backing into a National League Central title but Mike Petriello of MLB.com was also on with BKM Ferrario and pointed out that if you're in the playoffs it's not a bad thing. This kind of goes back to the division they're in. Like If the Cardinals were in the West or if they were in the East I would say well they got a big problem they're not going to be able to catch those guys but they're not they're in the Central. And I don't think there's anything short of, you know, spending $500 million, which they're not going to do, to catch up to those big four teams. So no matter what, even if they win the Central, they would go into the as an underdog. And that's fine. But 
it sort of depends like what you're trying to get out of the season. And my view is if you win the division and you get to the playoffs and hopefully by October, the country will be a little bit less of a disaster. And we can have Cardinals fans in the games have Push Stadium. I think there is still value to winning a division, getting to the playoffs, even if you are unlikely to be the number one seed, because this division, I cannot stress this enough, is absolutely terrible. I mean, the Pirates are going to lose 150 games this year. The Cubs don't want to win. I don't think much of the Brewers. I don't know what the Reds are going to do. This could be, I don't want to say easy, that's overstating it, but this is a very winnable division for the Cardinals. So essentially, the NL Central is the NFC East. Right. Who's going to be the best of the worst? And I think that's the question. I think Cardinal fans, they deserve more credit than that. I know that the Cardinals love the idea of putting up a National League Central pennant, but is it great to be the best of the worst? That's our Cardinal fans going to buy that. The response that we get is no, that people want to see the Cardinals compete off the field. Yes. And, and on the field. And if they, if they don't make a move and win because everybody else was walking backwards, is that going to cause Cardinal fans in 2022 when hopefully we have everybody vaccinated or at least healthy and we have a, a new CBA is, is having the National League Central title in that division going to cause people to buy tickets to see the Cardinals? I don't know. I don't know either. I would like to think that the success on the field somehow is tied to fan participation when they're allowed to go back to the stadium. But in these circumstances in today's world, I don't know if it is. We talk all the time about how the Blues have captivated St. Louis's attention on the St. Louis sports scene and the way that we admire the way that Stillman and Army and Chief are constantly going for it and, and making sure that they maximize this window that they've opened and how that's in direct contrast to what we're seeing from the Cardinals. And I would like to think fans would respond to that and put their foot down. But we also have a sports crazy town that has not been to a game in a year. And if the Cardinals do make the postseason, year and a half, and that crave that. And so for all the people that text into this show saying, I'm done with the Cardinals until they make a move, I'm not supporting a team that doesn't reciprocate their support to me. If those gates are open and you get a ticket, mark my words, you're going. You're going to the game because that's what we do. And we miss that sense of community and we miss what sports gives us. So... Mike Petriello is probably right. If the Cardinals are in that position, regardless of the apathy or the frustration, I shouldn't say apathy, the frustration from the fans, they're still going to go. They're still going to show up. See, and and, and yeah, I I think they will. Although I do think that the pandemic and not going changed people. But I also look, Michelle, at the fact that they were four wins away from going to the World Series in 2019. Got swept by the Nationals. And they were roundly ripped here in St. Louis. Nobody liked the fact that they won the division and won against the Braves in the DS. They got swept by the Nationals, and people said, oh, they suck. Nobody liked that team. I I won't say nobody. I'll, I'll say the majority of Cardinal fans, at least those that communicate with us, didn't like that team, even though they were four wins away from going to the World Series. Which is lunacy when you think about it. But it... It didn't feel as if they really had a chance to win the World Series, even though they were in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. The way the offense was performing, it wasn't exciting. It wasn't entertaining. You didn't think that they could win, and they ultimately didn't. But there's something to be said about the feeling that goes along with watching a team. 
the 2011 mm-hmm. Cardinals came out of nowhere. They, they were 10 and a half games back. They were doing happy flight. There's all sorts of things to like about that team. You got swept up in the momentum. Yeah. And by the way, on this station, on in the fast lane, in June of 2011, people wanted John Mosellock fired then, too. Yeah. Then they won the World Series, and it was cool. But we, <laughs> we know what it's like to just get in in St. Louis. Just get mm-hmm. in and see what happens. But I think that team had Albert Pujols. That team had personality. That team had something for fans to pour hope into and say, maybe they can do this. Whereas I think if you look at that 2019 team, you felt as if they were overachieving mm-hmm. because you didn't really have that sense of, there's some momentum here. Or I'm entertained by them. They can go get it done. It's it's weird to say that when they were so close to winning, but it just didn't. The sentiment did not match up with the results. And I can tell you this. I was all woe is me. It was on my birthday. It was on August 19th where I said Cardinals have zero chance of going to the playoffs. Zero. People didn't think that team had a chance until they had a chance. In 2011? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. It's interesting to see. And I think the Cardinals do need, from a business standpoint, to do something to energize their fan base. Because I think that is across the board. Whether you're the most ardent Cardinal fan or you're as skeptical as can be, I think everybody wants to see them do something. We should do a poll on our Twitter page and say, when the gates open, if the Cardinals don't make any moves... Mm -hmm. When the gates open, are you buying a ticket? I would be fascinated to see what the results are. Let's put that poll up. All right, I'm on it. Coming up, we're going to visit with our buddy Joe Vitale. He's going to be the analyst for the Blues and Avalanche tonight. And Joey V is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by the Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. tell him what we're going to talk about but we also like to defer to Joey's expertise and Joey obviously is a foodie he's a guy that uh, loves to eat food loves to make food and uh, we welcome Joe to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line on 101 ESPN Joey V how you doing this morning Randy, Michelle, hey guys, doing awesome, doing awesome. How are you guys today? Everything's good. Okay, we've got the Blues Avalanche tonight at 8. As we settle in to tune into this game, you and Chris Kerber with the call at 8 o'clock. And of course, uh, we're going to sync it up with our TV and watch from the ball center. What is the snack of choice to watch a good hockey game? Ooh, and now are we talking from the booth? Or are we talking oh, no. from we're home? At home? We're on our Barker lounger. You know, I think I think any kind of finger food would be would be appropriate, Randy. Something hockey's an intense game where you're always kind of on your toes. You can't sit down and have like a meatloaf or a potluck or a pot roast or anything like like the pasta because you know what I mean. Like maybe for baseball because it's a little bit slower pace, but with hockey, it's always kind of like you're up and you're down. You're all over the place, checking on kids, penalties, quickness of the game. So it's got to be that finger food, something close by. You know, I always was a big fan of the nachos, the mini tacos, something along those lines, a dip. You know, Curves and I on the broadcast the other day, we got into a debate about what is a condiment, what is a dip, what is a spread. You know, any kind of like guacamole spread, queso spread, anything that could get scooped up and kind of keep on the move, to me, is the best, best snack for hockey. 
Now, I think ranch is something that covers all the bases here because I think ranch can be a, a dip, a dressing, or it can be a condiment. Oof, I mean, that's it. You're right. That is like the Swiss Army knife of all the things wonderful in this world. You know, we, we were actually mentioning uh, mayonnaise because, you know, he was talking about grilled cheese. And do you guys put mayonnaise on your grilled cheese? You no. ever heard of this? I've no. never done it. People do that? It's a thing. So instead oh. of butter, instead of buttering your bread, you mayonnaise your bread. It, it's it's wild. I'm telling you, it's wild. It's it, mm. it will change your life. Number one, and then but ranch. Ranch is a ranch is a big thing with the hockey players. A lot of players, a lot of Canadians, Randy will actually throw ranch on their pasta. So a lot of guys, oh. especially like the, the Saskatoon, Ontario. I know it sounds wild, but they'll put the red marinara sauce on their pregame. Tyler Kennedy always did. Matt Cook was another one. The big the big feisty kid. He was uh, maybe that's why he was so angry all the time. I don't know, but he would put the marinara sauce on his pasta, and then he he would like squirt all this ranch, and he would mix it together. It kind of reminded me of that scene from Elf when he was like mixing all exactly. like candy canes. Yes. It was it was horrible. Oh God, it looked so bad. And he was a sloppy eater, and oh. he would get all over his shirt. And um, my God, the funniest him him and Tyler Kennedy were from the kind of the same area, and they would always do this. And one of the funniest things, uh, Chris Letang, uh, still the defenseman for Pittsburgh. He was probably maybe the nicest dressing guy I've ever played with. I mean, we're talking like Versace shirts that were $900, just dress shirts. We're not talking suits, just the actual dress shirt. We were in New York and about to get out there against Madison Square Garden, the first Rangers, and we were having team meal, like a team lunch right after our morning skate, and Tyler Kennedy was notorious for being like the sloppiest, grossest eater, like Brooks Orpik. It drove him nuts. Like he would never close his mouth. He would never use a napkin. Like it was just – he was like an animal, like a caged animal. <laughs> and I'll never forget, we were outside. We were staying, I believe, at the, the Umpton, I think, in New York, just down the street on Broadway. And here goes Tyler. He starts digging in the pasta, digging in the spaghetti, and he grabs this whole meatball. Like, you know, like most civilized human beings will cut a meatball into bite-sized pieces. These meatballs are probably the size of our fist. He just stabs this thing like, like a carcass, lifts it, and takes a gnaw out of it. It slips off of his fork and literally kerplunk all in his plate. And this ranch marinara mess literally splashes all over Chris Tang's oh. new, like, white Versace oh, shirt. <laughs> I'll never forget the look on his face. He had a full meatball in his mouth, and he was just like, oh. And we were all absolutely dying. But uh, sorry, I got a little tangent there. But, yeah, ranch, ranch is a thing where a lot of Canadians put in their pasta as well. Okay, great story, Joey. This is why we love having you on, because you always deliver that way. But is it fair to say that Oscar Sundquist is the ranch of the blues? Because it doesn't matter what you what line you put him on, where you slot him, it's always going to work out. Yeah, I like that, Michelle. It made me, I might use that tonight on the broadcast. Don't worry, I'll give you a little love. I'll give you a little love. Thank give you. A shout out. But um, that's fair to say. Yeah, I think it's definitely fair to say. This is a kid that was supposed to be starting on the fourth line coming into Wednesday's night's opener. Uh, of course, what happened with Mike Hoffman, the visa working visa, couldn't get that figured out. And, and here we are hearing this news about Mike Hoffman. I start, the wheels start going to me and Curbs' head and Panger's head. And we're like, well, I wonder who's going to get put up there. Maybe they just saw Sammy Blay on that line. Well, they did a little reshuffling. And, of course, Oscar Sundquist gets the nod on that, let's call it, the second line with Thomas and Jaden Schwartz. And what a performance uh, he had. And I think it just it's a true testament to a player that understands his strengths and just uses them. I mean, Oscar is not out there trying to be Mike Hoffman. He's not trying to be David Perron, or he's not trying to be a face-off guy like Ryan O'Reilly. You know, Oscar Sundquist is a player 
that is a true pro in the sense that he understands exactly what he needs to do every single game to be successful. And because no one on the team is as good at it as he is. And what that is, is he's a four checker. He's a tenacious four checker that creates through his tenacity and his energy. That's it. It's that simple. Yes, he's got skill. Yes, he can shoot. Yes, he can make a play. But everything, the groundwork, the framework, and the foundation of Oscar Sundquist's game is his tenacity and that ability to forecheck and just smother, smother, smother. Now you look at the goal. He's barreling in there. He taps it in, and he takes out the referee, almost knocks down the boards. I mean, that's, that's, that's what he is, and he understands that, and it's all within his control. This is why Craig Berube loves him. And this is why Craig Berube told me about a month and a half ago when we were talking that he is the engine of this team. Pretty, pretty, pretty amazing comment when you think about it, when some young kid asked him, you know, who's your favorite player? And here I am thinking Ryan O'Reilly or uh, Braden Shen. And, of course, you know, Craig Berube laughed at the question and kind of dodged it. But he did say, I, he followed up with this. He goes, I, I'm not going to say my favorite player, but the engine of this team, the kid that runs this team, when he's going, we're going, is Oscar Sundquist. And you saw it there on Wednesday night. Pretty remarkable start for Oscar. That's a, a great anecdote. If Chief says that, people better pay attention. But, Joey, when Mike Hoffman returns, is he on that second line, or do you think Craig Berube may keep Oscar Sundquist there based on the production that we saw? No, you got to put Mike Hoffman up there. I think that's his spot. I think that's where he belongs. And, and the good news is you're putting Oscar Sundquist on a fourth line, which I think Craig Berube was really excited about come Wednesday night. I think we could have arguably the most responsible fourth line in the league. So I think he's excited to see Oscar get back down there with Clifford and Barbashev because that's where you're going to want him to be. That's that fourth line you want to be. We want to run four lines deep, and you got to have a good, solid fourth line. So Oscar's going to be that guy. You know, I understand Oscar had a great game, but not putting Mike Hoffman in that spot would be like, you know, if Wayne, you had Wayne Gretzky on your bench, right, and he's having a bad game and you have a shootout and you have one shooter to try to win the game, I don't care what kind of game Wayne Gretzky's having at that point. you got, you got to put him out there. He's Wayne Gretzky, right? Mike Hoffman is a top six forward. He's an elite forward. He's got an amazing offensive upside. He can get to the net. His shot is so wicked. And I think that if you put him with a playmaker like we saw on Robert Thomas the other day, some of those beautiful passes, Mike Hoffman's going to capitalize on those more times than not. So I think Mike Hoffman, if he does get in tonight, we're still kind of on hold as far as his work visa. I do believe I've heard that he will be able to play tonight. Nothing official yet. But if they can get that resolved, uh, I believe he will be back in that spot. And if he is, no one's really going to be coming out because like we saw the other day, Sammy Blay got a two-game suspension for that hit on Devontae's, which I thought it was a little steep. I definitely see how he caught his chin, but we're going to be without Sammy Blay here for a couple games. Hey, Joey, you mentioned that you guys were talking about maybe moving Blay up to the right wing on that line the other night before they made the change and moved Sunquist up there. Uh, Mike Hoffman has played a lot of left wing in his career. The Blues have moved him to the right side. You played both wings in your career. Is everybody capable of being reasonably uh, equally effective, whether they play left or right wing? Is that an easy transition to make for guys? It just, it, Randy, it really just depends. It's everyone's so different. I mean, you you talk to to David Perron why he likes the right, or you mentioned to Jaden Schwartz why he likes the left. Um, you mentioned to Vladimir Tarasenko why he likes the left or, or the right. I mean, it's just everyone will give you a different answer. What I have seen and what I have found are those the hard-nosed, fast, let's just call it the Oscar Sundquist type of players, they're fine either way because they typically like to just move it wide and go. So you can do that on the right side easily. You can do it on the left side easily. It's actually easier to do it on your off wing because you're on your forehand, you bounce it off the wall on your strong side, and then you can go. I found that the skillful guys, the guys that like to kind of use the middle of the ice, 
that's that's where they're a little bit more picky. Um, but again, it really just kind of comes down to the to whatever each player whatever each player thinks. You know, a, a left-handed shot who's a skilled guy, for example, if he's going to play that right side, a lot of lefties like to play the right. Because you think about it, the puck's towards the middle of the ice, mm-hmm. and their body's more opened up to the middle, and they want to go to the middle. So you'll see a lot of guys who want to play that off wing, who want to make plays through the middle of the ice. I will say with this Blues team, not to say that they're limited to the middle of the ice, because Craig Bruby doesn't like turnovers to the middle, but it is more of a north-south, up-and-down kind of game. So I think that's why in St. Louis you find that the more the more strong hand will be on that strong side, and they feel comfortable there simply based off of the systems that they have to play within that team. All right, big takeaway here, finger food, wings with ranch tonight for the Blues and the Avalanche. No, 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 wings with Sunquist. <laughs> oh, there you go, Nailed wings, with, there, wings with Sunquist. Well done. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Joey, have a great weekend. We'll be tuned in tonight, and uh, we always enjoy having you with us on Friday mornings. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Randy. You guys have a wonderful weekend. See you, brother. Take care. That is Joey Vitale with us on 101 ESPN. He is ranch. Put him on anything, and it plays. Yeah, really. It's He's total, versatile. Total versatility. Coming up, we've got the fight for you on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to character and small men in the red corner average joe listener and in the blue corner the undisputed king of morning drive please welcome randy character welcome back to character and small men here on 101 espn it's 8.36 on this Friday. The time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's time for the fight. Now, yesterday's fight was a good one. We had Caleb and Randy tie. And then we realized that we had a little mix-up on the options. And that Caleb probably could have had a chance to beat Randy. So we said, you know what? Our bad. Our bad. Justice for Caleb. We are going to bring him back on a Friday and let him defend his honor. We're going to let him try again. So Caleb, who was a great opponent of Randy yesterday, is back with us. Caleb, good morning. How are you doing today? Good morning. It's, uh, it's Blues game day. That's, uh, that's the big uh, setup for today for me, at least. That's your setup is that it's Blues game day, not, yeah, yesterday I was neck and neck with Randy. You did me wrong. I'm here to defend my honor. It's Blues game day is where you're going, Caleb? It's it's Blues game day. It's, it's St. <laughs> Louis City. That's the big important thing here. You know what? You're too humble, Caleb. You're too humble. But I, I like that you're so pumped about the Blues, and you can listen tonight here on 101 ESPN with pregame starting at 7 p.m. Alex Ferrari is going to get you set up for the game. All right, question. I'll be there. All right. Look forward to having you. Question number one for you, Caleb. Urban Meyer, the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, won his first BCS championship in the 2006-2007 season. Who started at quarterback for him in that championship game? Was it Chris Leak, Tim Tebow, or Rex Grossman? Uh, Tim Tebow. How many times has Aaron Rodgers played in the Super Bowl? Once? Twice? Once. All right, look at Caleb. Question number three for you. Jordan Bennington currently has the second highest save percentage in Blues history. Who is first in save percentage in Blues history? Is it Brian Elliott, Jake Allen, or Chris Mason? You said Brian Elliott, Chris Mason, and who? Jake Allen. 
I'm going to say Brian Elliott. Last one before we bring Randy in. Who is the only player to hit into a triple play in his last at-bat of his career? Was it Joe Pignatano, Brooks Robinson, or Frank Thomas? Robinson. All right, we are checking our score here. Randy's on his way back in. Caleb, I know you're a Blues fan, so we got at least one hockey question on there for you, but how do you feel about the other three? Uh, the foot, the Urban Meyer one, I'm pretty sure it was Tim Tebow, but I'm not huge on baseball. I, I don't pay attention as much as hockey, so that one I'm a bit nervous about. Yeah, and that's a really tough one. That's a tough question. We'll see if Randy can get it. He's with us. Randy, say hello to Caleb again. Caleb, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Thank you. How are you today? Good. Sorry you got ripped off yesterday. (laughs) It's good. (laughs) I I gave him the platform to say, you've done me wrong. I'm coming back. I'm taking the throne. And all Caleb wanted to say was it's Blues game day and that he's going to be listening tonight, starting with pregame at 7 p.m. right here on 101 ESPN. Hashtag LGB. LGB. Let's go. And Thomas. And Thomas. (laughs) All right, Randy. Question number one for this fight on a Friday. Urban Meyer won his first BCS championship in the 2006-2007 season. Who started at quarterback for him in that championship game? 06-07. That would have been... Did he, I, I guess he did win with um, Chris Leak. Randy, how many times has Aaron Rodgers played in the Super Bowl? He has played in the Super Bowl just that one time when he beat the Steelers in 2010. Jordan Biddington currently has the second highest save percentage in Blues history. Who is first in save percentage in Blues history? I believe it would be Moose, Brian Elliott. And Randy, you said that this should be a fight question. Well, here it is. Who is the only player to hit into a triple play in his last at-bat of his career? Oh, we have one, huh? (laughs) I like this. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll do the lifeline here. Was it Joe Pignatano, Brooks Robinson, or Frank Thomas? I, I think if the big hurt would have done it, we would that would have been more known. Joe Pignatano. I don't. He didn't have a memorable career. Who was the second one? Uh, Brooks Robinson. Uh, Brooks Robinson. He certainly was capable of it, but I'm going to go with Joe Pignatano. We are ending a Friday with a destruction. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker! Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. I thought this was a really hard fight today. We had questions from all different sports. Tanner brought one from the recesses of history with the triple play ending a career. And Randy got all four correct. (laughs) He didn't even bat an eye. Sorry, Caleb. Randy beat you four to two. And let's reveal the answers. The quarterback who started for Urban Meyer in his first BCH championship back in 2006 was Chris Leak. Aaron Rodgers has played in one Super Bowl. He won Super Bowl 41. Jordan Bennington, second highest save percentage in Blues history following Brian Elliott, as Randy mentioned. And the only player to hit into a triple play in his last at-bat of his career is Joe Pignatano back in 1962. Will Yadier Molina also join him? He could. In history. We'll find out. Caleb, great to talk to you again, and thanks for playing. Let's go Blues. Uh, uh, 
I have a question for you guys. I did bring one up. It's advanced analytics. So hockey's moving towards war, the war stat that baseball is. Uh-huh. Who do you guys think, all three of you, who's the highest projected forward and defenseman on the Blues? I th- I'm going to go... I'm going to just play the chalk with Ryan O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good guess. And for defense, hmm, I'll go, uh, I'm going to go off the board here with Marco Scandella. Whoa. I was thinking maybe Robert Thomas and Colton Pareko. I'm thinking O'Reilly, and then I was going to say Krug. All right, so number one. O'Reilly is correct. Thomas is a close second. Mm. O'Reilly's projected 92% better than everyone else in the league, in the league for forwards. Robert Thomas is 89%. Mm. And then for defensemen, it's actually Vince Dunn. Vince Mm. Dunn's projected to be better than 94% of players and Pareko with 91% of players. And that's based on every single category, puck possession, passing, offense, defense. So... Good stuff, Caleb. Thank you very much. We appreciate you listening and uh, being a part of the fight. Thank you. Take care. Have a great weekend. Caleb with us on the fight on 101 ESPN. It's going to be a busy weekend in the National Football League. Four games, and we'll have them for you here on 101 ESPN. And we'll preview them next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Divisional round coverage of the NFL playoffs tomorrow starts at 3 o'clock here on 101 ESPN. Rams and Packers kick off at 335, and then the Ravens and Bills at 715. Michelle, the Packers are a a 6.5-point favorite over the Rams, who will start Jared Goff at quarterback, and John Wolford will not be available available at all. So Blake Bortles will be the backup quarterback. Defensively, it looks like Aaron Donald will be good to go. It's the battle of the Aarons. Aaron Donald versus Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Will the Rams' defense prevail or will the Packers' offense prevail? That's the way I'm looking at this game. And my money's on Aaron Rodgers. Even though that Rams' defense is super disruptive, if Aaron Donald is even a little bit hindered, then I, I like my chances if I'm, I'm Green Bay. Plus, if I'm looking on the other side of the ball and I see Jared Goff, who is still recovering from that surgery, who doesn't necessarily give a lot of confidence if you're the Rams offense. I don't know. I I hope that Green Bay absolutely crushes them. I would think that Green Bay defensive coordinator Mike Pettin has spent the week installing a game plan in which they're forcing Jared Goff to beat them. Don't let Cam Akers and the ground game beat you. Make Goff beat you. And then if he does, when it's 35 degrees, just tip your hat and move on home. But I'm with you. I, I think that Number one, Rodgers has such a great quick release and is so great at avoiding pressure. I think the Packers will have a great plan, and he will have a plan to avoid Donald as much as possible. And the Jalen Ramsey-Devontae Adams matchup is going to be intriguing, but I think this is one where I could see Jalen Ramsey getting beat. 
Hopefully. Especially in the cold weather where Adams knows where he's going and Ramsey does not know where he's going. Okay, speaking of cold weather, I just pulled it up on weather.com. It looks like it's going to be in the low 30s, snow showers in the morning. You have winds coming in from the northwest 10 to 15 miles an hour. The chance of snow 50%, which bodes well for the Packers, who are conditioned to weather. Mm -hmm. Aaron Rodgers is no stranger to tough weather in Green Bay. Jared Goff, however, Randy, doesn't like the cold. He's a California guy. He plays in California. Why would he like the snow? Alan Belva from CBS Sports had this. Jared Goff has played two NFL games with a kickoff temp below freezing in his career. Not only is he 0-2 in those games, zero touchdown passes, five interceptions. See, there you go. That's what's going to happen tomorrow. The second game tomorrow night, also going to be in the cold weather, a chance for snow in Buffalo. Ravens and Bills. Buffalo is a two and a half point favorite. Here's a little nugget for you from Trey Wingo. He points out that the Bills' defense allowed an average of 200 rushing yards in their three losses, but only 101 yards rushing in their 13 wins. This year, for the second year in a row, the Ravens led the league in rushing with 3,071 yards. The Titans were second with 2,690. Baltimore had almost 400 more rushing yards, Michelle, than the number two team in the league. And... Again, you're a team, and we know that Lamar Jackson can throw it. We don't know if he can in cold weather. He's never played in snow before. But if I am the Bills' defense, I'm setting things up so that they have to beat me through the air. Yeah, Sean McDermott's defense improved against the run, but after those numbers that you just laid out, it's clear that they need to contain it, and they need to contain the run game from Baltimore to win this game. But just like we've seen with a lot of other teams this year, Randy, you can say I'm going to stop Lamar. He's not going to beat me on the ground. You can Mm -hmm. try and simulate it as much as possible. And then he's going to go out there and he's going to find a way to break through those holes. His vision is incredible and beat you. If you give him even a slight opening, he's going to find a way to run all over you. Are there any quarterbacks aside from these two that are more capable of beating you either on the ground or through the air? Are there are there better dual threat quarterbacks in the league than Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson? Patrick Mahomes. He can I, beat you a lot of ways. He, he, but he doesn't run like those guys do. He doesn't run like Lamar, but... <sighs> and Josh Allen had, he had 500 yards rushing too. Which is crazy. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm running through. Kyler? Not yet. Yeah, Kyler's, that's a good, good call. But would you put him with I would Lamar? put him with that pair, no. Yeah, but he's he's certainly in that conversation. Yeah. Uh, as far as rushing in the playoffs, uh, well, let me get the regular season stats for you here. Uh, Buffaloes, Josh Allen, let's see, he led them, obviously, in passing. He wasn't too far behind in rushing. Devin Singletary had 687. Allen had 421. So, Almost 500 yards rushing for Josh Allen. All right, so who do you like in that game, Michelle? This is really tough. I think I like Baltimore, Randy. As strong as the Bills looked, and as much as I like Josh Allen, mm-hmm. and I think that he's going to be and conti- continue to be a star in this league because he's already, to me, in that conversation. I like Baltimore. I like the momentum that they have. I like the way that Lamar has been playing. And if this game is going to be run or won or lost on the ground, I'm putting my money with Baltimore. And if there were fans in the stands, I would feel differently. But since there aren't, and home field really isn't a big issue, I'm with you. I'm going to go with the Ravens, too. On Sunday at 2 o'clock, the Chiefs are a 10-point favorite over the Browns. Andy Reid in his coaching career, 
23 and 5 coming off of bye weeks. The only team that had a bye week in the AFC last week. And the Browns were able to take the ball away from Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers last week. It's not as easy to take it away from Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. No, no. And a lot of times I would look at a game like this and say, I believe in momentum. The Browns Mm -hmm. have it. You've had the Chiefs who've been resting. They, as we saw last year on their way to the Super Bowl, tended to get behind in games. They didn't jump out to fast starts. It's what they were known for. They would get in these holes and they would dig out of them. And I I would look at those facts and I would look at this matchup and think, okay, maybe the Browns can pull this one off. But then you roll out that stat about Andy Reid and how strong he is coming off a bye week with extra time for his players to rest and extra time for him to game plan. And as much as we love the Browns, they're our playoff team. They're the Mm -hmm. team that we are hoping advances. I think the Chiefs are going to win. Kareem Hunt is highly motivated, the former Chief, and obviously after he became a kicker, they released him because he's supposed to be a running back. But another part of that coaching aspect for the Chiefs is that Spags with an extra week and Spags in the playoffs always seems to develop a plan. There's a reason the guy has a couple of Super Bowl rings Mm -hmm. and I would think that they'll have a good plan for Baker Mayfield and that running game and the Browns and I think it's a really interesting line. I would take Cleveland to cover but I wouldn't be surprised to see Kansas City win this by nine or make it a push at ten. So we're both going with the Chiefs here. Even though we want the Browns, right? Yep. And then the late game on Sunday, 540 St. Louis time here on 101 ESPN. The Buccaneers are at New Orleans. The Saints are a three-point favorite. And Michelle, I've got some recency bias here. I was so unimpressed with the way the Saints played against the Bears that, and by the way, not that the Buccaneers were world beaters against Washington, Mm -hmm. but I look at that Tampa talent with Evans and Godwin and Antonio Brown and Gronk and Leonard Fournette and Brady throwing it to him and their offensive line playing well and that defense run by Todd Bowles. I kind of think Tampa Bay is going to win this game. I have my money on Tampa Bay too. I know the Saints beat the Bucks twice in the regular season. Tom Brady and that offense seems to have found their stride. He's especially clicking with Mike Evans. And when you look at the numbers for Tom Brady in those matchups, two touchdowns, five interceptions, 0-2. I don't think that the Saints can beat Brady three times. However, I think the Bucks defense really is going to be a big X factor in this game. If you let the Washington football team and Taylor Heineke do what they did against you, good luck with Drew Brees. They're going to mm-hmm. really have to have a strong game plan, but I think this is going to be down to the wire. It's going to be an awesome marquee matchup between two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and I, I like Tom Brady and the Bucks to advance. And I feel like I used to know what Drew Brees was going to give me any given Sunday. I don't know what Drew Brees is going to give me anymore, and that's troubling, but he's 42 years old. Oldest matchup between quarterbacks, playoff game or not, in NFL history, 87 years old. Or no, 80, 80, yeah, 87 years old. Wow. Pretty amazing. And they still look Combined. great? Combined. Not one of the guys. Oh, not one. Okay, yeah. got it. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. All the action here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Blues are playing Colorado tonight, and we presume that Mike Hoffman is going to be available. How can they put him into the lineup but not lose any of the edge that they had from the opener? It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions do matter. Time for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by SSM Health Express Clinic at Walgreens. Visit SSMHealth.com for more information.
901, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Carriker and Smallman. And we do have a poll up. Michelle has it on her page, at M Smallman on Twitter. I've retweeted it at Randy Carriker. We also have it up on our 101 ESPN Twitter page. And Michelle, why don't you bring us up to date on this poll? A lot of Cardinal fans, Randy, are frustrated by their lack of moves thus far in the offseason. They're looking at a season potentially without star power and Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina, an offense that doesn't really inspire people to want to go to the ballpark. And I can understand why fans, when they're allowed back in Bush Stadium, might want to take a stand and say, I'm not giving the Cardinals my money because I don't like the product. But the other side of that coin is we are in a pandemic and something that is so important to us as St. Louisans, sports, Cardinal baseball, the sense of community, the the practice of gathering with people is all of a sudden presented back. So we asked the question, and as Randy said, it's on Twitter. If the Cardinals don't make any moves this offseason, when fans are allowed back at Bush, are you buying a ticket? Essentially, we're asking which factor is more important to you, the product being good or having something to do post-pandemic? Mm-hmm. We have about a thousand people who have voted so far. 67.6% says no, they're not buying a ticket. There's a ton of responses underneath the poll. And most people are saying, this has nothing to do with COVID either. This is not about my finances. This is not about me being concerned about going to the ballpark. I don't want to watch a team that I don't think is going to be entertaining. I think emotions are running high at the moment. I do think that it would be smart for the Cardinals to make a move because I, I, well, I don't believe that 67.4% of all Cardinal fans will say, nope, I'm not going to buy a ticket. I do believe that number probably is higher now than it has been since the mid-90s, since the they came off the 94 strike. And that's something that I think the Cardinals need to concern themselves with. Do you think that number is also higher because people are looking at Blues hockey and thinking, yeah. if doors open at stadiums, I want to spend my money on the Blues? No doubt. People have budgets to deal with and the blues are just at the moment the their sport is more exciting and their team is more exciting more entertaining they have more compelling people everything about the blues is more exciting now than the cardinals also take it or leave it going to any hockey game is more fun than going to a baseball game not blues and cardinal specific but just the environment and the action hockey better than baseball yeah i'll take that But they're so different because baseball is where you sit outside and have a conversation with somebody and it's it's serene. Hockey is intense. So they're two different animals altogether. But yes, hockey is if I had the choice, I would go to a hockey game. I think most people, when they go to a hockey game live for the first time, that's when you fall in love with hockey. Yeah. When you see the speed and you you, you see the people being checked up against the boards and the physicality and the overall vibe of the game and the atmosphere is so it's so different than when you watch it on television. And of course, hockey on the radio is great. We have the Blues and the Avalanche tonight at eight o'clock, seven o'clock pregame here on one hundred and one ESPN. And the Blues try to go to two and zero on the season. And Michelle. Hopefully, they'll get their one of their off-season acquisitions back. And Mike, no, you got- and Mike Hoffman, yeah. who had some visa issues. His debut was delayed. But yes, I certainly hope they get him back. And I would imagine we would see him slotted where he was intended to be slotted on that second line when he returns. And you asked Joey Vitale about that earlier. No, you got to put Mike Hoffman up there. I think that's the spot. I think that's where he belongs. And, and the good news is you're putting Oscar Sunquist on a fourth line, which I think Craig Brewer was really excited about. 
come Wednesday night. I think we could have arguably the most responsible fourth line in the league. So I think he's excited to see Oscar get back down there with Clifford and Barbashev because that's where you're going to want him to be. That's that fourth line you want to be. We want to run four lines deep. Mike Hoffman is a top six forward. He's an elite forward. He's got an amazing offensive upside. He can get to the net. His shot is so wicked. And I think that if you put him with a playmaker like we saw on Robert Thomas the other day, some of those beautiful passes, Mike Hoffman's going to capitalize on those more times than not. And you don't have Sammy Blay anyway, so right. you have that opening on your fourth line. So it just makes sense to put Hoffman where he was during training camp. I loved what we saw in the debut from Tory Krug, Kyle Clifford. Lighting the lamp, mm-hmm. getting in there in his debut for the Blues, too. Can't wait to see how Mike Hoffman responds. He's He's gotten something to live up to from the other debuts that we saw. The Blues did such a magnificent job of puck possession. That's the interesting thing I'm dec- I, I want to see about Hoffman is, is he going to be as strong on the puck as a typical Blues player is? And is that line going to be strong on the puck and be able to maintain puck possession? As Craig Berube noted, they had like a four or five minute stretch the other night where they maintained the puck in the offensive zone with three or four shifts. And I'm interested to see if Hoffman can be a part of that because he does like to shoot and he's a, he's got a great shot. I wonder if he'll be a guy that cycles the puck down low and does what the rest of the Blues do. And I do think, Michelle, that this is the kind of game where you get your stars because you didn't have your stars score in the opener. You get your stars involved offensively tonight. And Jeremy Rutherford, our one-on-one ESPN Blues insider, tweeting just one minute ago that he can confirm Mike Hoffman's visa issues have been completed. So he's eligible to play tonight. All right, let's go Mike. Let's LGB. Yeah, and Hoffman. LGBH? (laughs) <laughs> LGBAH? Yeah. And I believe he is the second Blues player in history to ever wear number 68 in a game. He will be once he takes the ice. Who was the first? Uh, it wasn't Grachev. Who was it? It was one of those Russian guys that Let's they had. Let's find out. Yeah. We'll find it. You'll like it. You'll, you'll, he'll be very memorable for you, I know. I would like to know who made a call to somebody to get this visa issued. The issue worked out so quickly. Well, I can tell you this, Michelle, that part of the Blues ownership group is the Danforth family. Mm. And I would think that they still may have some pull. Not completely sure, but I would think that they might have some pull somehow in uh, in the government to get that done. By the way, he will be uh, number 68, number, number 5? No, that's number 62. Let me get to number 68 here. Uh, Eric Nicholas, 2003, was the first blue to wear number 68. Hoffman will be number two. Nice. And only one number, Michelle, in the 70s has not been worn by a blues player. Which one? 76. 76. Which is retired in St. Louis for Orlando Pace. Across all sports? All sports. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. So we have Blues Hockey tonight here on 101 ESPN. And then this weekend, it's going to be a fun weekend of football. I, I want to go back a little bit to the Packers game because one of the things that Aaron Rodgers said after the Packers got drilled last year by San Francisco in the NFC Championship game was, we need to get a home game because we need to take advantage of our weather. Mm-hmm. The Packers completely embrace the weather, even Aaron Rodgers, who was a California guy like Goff. But the fact that they can go outside and practice 
in what they're going to play in on Saturday or Sunday is such a huge advantage because there is nothing the Rams can do short of going to practice in Chicago or Minnesota or or Wisconsin. There's nothing that they can really do to prepare themselves and acclimate themselves to the weather. When the Giants beat Green Bay in the NFC Championship game in 2007, they had the chance to practice outside in New York all week. Mm-hmm. Can't do that in L.A. So yeah. I wonder how the, the Rams will react. Some of the guys, Aaron Donald grew up in Pittsburgh. It's not going to be a big deal for him. But I, most of those guys are warm weather players that haven't had to deal with this. And when something like that, an outside factor, if you will, is such a major part of a game, certain things you can simulate. Remember when the Rams would prepare to go up to Seattle and have the 12th man Mm -hmm. be a part of the game? They would blast the speakers out at Rams Park when they would practice so that they could simulate the noise so that players could try to get acclimated to that so that quarterbacks could know how to yell and and things of that nature. If you're in California during a pandemic where you, you can't move around much, how can you simulate this? You cannot. So it's a factor that's going to smack you in the face when you get there and it's game time so that'll be part of what makes it fun tomorrow yes it will for uh for fans like us coming up on 101 espn by the way that was today's big thing yesterday part of today's big thing was a story that polo asensio conducted with cardinal catcher yadier molina and we're going to talk to polo about that interview next on 101 espn we're right back to the character and smallman podcast on 101 espn <laughs> Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN and on La Vida Baseball, our friend Polo Asensio, who calls Cardinal games in Spanish, interviewed Yadier Molina and asked the Cardinal catcher about coming back and signing a contract. And right now we go to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and Polo Asensio joins us on 101 ESPN. Polo, it's always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. How you doing? You know what? Uh, I... I, I'm just waking up here in, in California. It's only 7.15 in the morning, Randy and Michelle. So <laughs> you, you know how much I like you, how much I want to talk to you guys when you wake me up right before 8 o'clock in the morning. And, and the other thing is the celebrity line. Does that mean that I'm a celebrity? You are a celebrity, yes. You're, you're oh, a major wow. celebrity in St. Louis. Oh, wait, you know what? <laughs> then I need to move to St. Louis because here where I live, I still have to do my yard. I have to take the cash out. <laughs> Pick up the dog's poop and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I, hey, if anybody knows a house in San Luis that wants to uh, take me, I'll gladly move over there. But anyway, uh, glad to, to hear you guys. Glad to talk to you guys. And, and let's get to it, man, because there's a lot. When, when it comes down to Yadier Molina, there's a lot to talk about. I want to start with, the, with this from that interview. I, I'd like to know what your perception of the tone of Yachty was. Was it, was it an anger? Hey, hey if, if I don't get what I want, I'm not coming back? Or was it more of a, a, a matter of fact, hey, you know, I, I'm here. If I don't get the contract I want, uh, I'm willing to retire. What, what did you perceive his tone was when you talked to him? And that is very important that you, you asked that question. That is a great question because Obviously, yesterday was a very eye-opener for me. Like, uh, the day was, was crazy, right? Since uh, Derek Gould, uh, a very nice written uh, article, as, as many as, uh, as he does. Um, when, when the quote said that, you know, he's been training and blah, 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 we all saw it. And, and he said, no, if, if the right, uh, the right uh, offer doesn't come, I will retire. He was not mad. He was not mad at St. Louis. 
He was not mad at the Cardinals. He was not mad at the fans. He was not mad at life. He was a, he was a happy guy that knows that he has played baseball or a sport for a living for the last, what, 15, 20 years, right? He has made more money that he can spend in 10 lives in his family. So w- when you have that, uh, I don't want to say leverage, but that, that situation, and you have given it your all, uh, it, it was a guy that says, you know what? I, I've given it my all. I've won pretty much everything, gold gloves, uh, platinum gloves, silver slugger, uh, um, uh, obviously World Series, and, and All-Star Games, the love and respect of not only St. Louis, but everywhere in the world that he goes of baseball, he was a guy that said, you know what? I want to play. I'm getting ready to play. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you guys saw the news, and he also told us about this. Uh, he's playing in the Puerto Rico League starting this Sunday. I think it's Sunday or, or Monday. He's, he's, he's going to be playing with his brother's team uh, in the semifinals and finals if they move on. So it doesn't look like – it doesn't sound like a guy that is ready to retire, but it sounded like a guy that said, you know what? I've done enough. If I get a right, the right offer, an offer that I know is going to be good for me and my family, I will keep on playing. But if not, then, you know, it's maybe it's time for me to say I'll stay home. And he mentioned this. I stay home with my 12-year-old kid, Yanu, that's playing baseball. He's a re- really good player. His daughter, who has a, a singing career in front of her. And the other son, I think he's four or five years old, and he's a little machine. So it, it was a guy that's happy with himself. And a happy Yadi, we all know what a happy Yadi can do. So... If, if he signs with another team, and I, I think he will, that team is going to be very, very lucky and a lot better than without him because a happy Yachty is a good Yachty, and a good Yachty, we all know what he can do. Paul, I just want to follow up on something you just said to get clarification. You think he's going to sign with, sign with a team that's not the Cardinals? Did I hear that correctly? No, 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 no. Okay. no I don't think he's going to sign. No, no. I, I, in my in my heart, if you ask me, and 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 uh, even I, I, I didn't ask him directly. Are you going to sign with the Cardinals? Yes or no? Because he doesn't know, right? There's there's a few other teams that that he did mention that there's a few other teams still talking to him, and, and he is he's a little uh, baffled, like like we all are. But then again, not so much of the, because of the slow pace of this off season. No, I, I don't think I don't think he prefers to sign with a team that is not the Cardinals. No, I do think, and I believe that he wants to stay. He wants to sign with the Cardinals, and and I want him to stay to stay with the Cardinals. You, Michelle, you, Randy, and anybody who's listening uh, to this to this radio station right now, and and, and, and to my voice, that is not a Cubs fan, want him to stay <laughs> with the Cardinals, right? I mean, right. if you're a Cubs fan or a Reds fan or a Pirates fan or a Milwaukee or Dodger fan, you don't want him to stay with the Cardinals. You want him to be with you. So we want him to stay, and I, I do believe at, at the end he will sign with the Cardinals. Hopefully it's, you know, it's what he wants, what we want, and, and we get to say goodbye to one of the guys that has given it his all. Because we've seen him. We've seen him defend the Cardinals against you know, his own teammates, against his own managers, against other teams, against other people. And, I mean, we, 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 he deserves to retire Cardinal, and I think Cardinal fans – and now I, I count myself since you know since I work with the team and I, I love the Cardinals. Um, I think we deserve to see him retire as a Cardinal. Thanks for that clarification. I just wanted to make sure for our listeners that we ironed that out. But where do you think the major disconnect is here? Do you think this is all coming down to the number of years on the deal, or is there more at play here? I think it's it's a little more. Um, again, I, I don't know. I'm not there during the during the talk, but the, the market changed 
with the with the with the uh, with the COVID, with the situation, with no fans. I understand myself as a broadcaster. You know, I, I I've been told that we you know we, we're coming back, we're doing games uh, uh, this this upcoming season with Benjamin Molina by the side. But at one point, we are all worried about it. We are all worried about what's going on. I mean, there's no fans in the stands, and we know the fans drive drive the revenue. And, and if there's revenue, then there's more money for to, to spend and to and to, and to uh, you know put into into the team. And I think that that is one of the things that with the Cardinals in general, not just the, the Yadier Molina situation, is, is happening. There's there's a uncertainty. We, we know that at least we hear that the season is going to start on time, and spring training is going to start on time. And we hear that there might be some fans allowed from the beginning of the season, and hopefully, as the season goes on, there's more and more fans. So I think that that is that is a big part of of, of what's going on here with with Yadier Molina and even Wainwright, uh, Colton Wong, and any other free agent out there. It's it's a, it's a, an interesting, scary, and maybe even exciting time to for everybody to realize that uh, sometimes you know baseball, yeah, it's important, yeah, it's a business. But at the end of the day, we we are all part of the business. And you guys were there at the stadium uh, uh, last season. I was there, and it was crazy to see it with no fans. I miss mm-hmm. the fans, and we want the fans to come in. And not only because they are part of the game, but also because if the fans come in, we know the team is going to be better, have a little more money, and perhaps spend it and, and have a better team. Polo Asensio is the Cardinal Spanish language broadcaster. He's with us on 101 ESPN. Polo, there was a perception yesterday when word of the interview came out that Yachty is insistent. The belief was that, okay, if I don't get a two-year offer that I will retire. Can you give us your read on that? Did, did you sense that, that if, if he doesn't get a two-year offer, that he just won't play? No, he didn't say that. He okay. didn't say that, and, I, and I've never gotten that. And, and, and I'm going to be completely honest just because I like Michelle. I don't like you that much, Randy, but Michelle, <laughs> I, I, I like her a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, from, from even before the season ended or, or when the season has, had ended, I had a conversation with Adia Molina. But you say on the exit interviews, right, once everything is done, he graciously invited me to his house to have dinner, and we did, and we talked about it. And I did ask the guy, I did ask him, I was like, hey, uh, uh, Yari, why are, you, why are you thinking right now? Like, just out of the blue, I said, Yari, wh- what are you thinking? What are you thinking right, right now? What is Yadier Molina thinking? What, 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 what is in your head? And you know what the answer said? And this is why I, I'm going to disclose this. He said, I don't want to make the people in San Luis not like me. I want them to like me forever. And I swear, I mean, anything you want, my, my beautiful dog Ramona that I adore, I mean, I, I, on Ramona, that he said, I don't want the people of San Luis to not like me. And how, how different is that from the Yadier Molina we see on the game? Like the, somebody who, who seems like he doesn't care, he's you know, tattooed and, and ready to fight and ready to bite your head off if you say something he doesn't like, to somebody who said, I don't want the people of San Luis, the, the Cardinal fans, to not like me if I play somewhere else. That is how worried he is about the perception and what people in San Luis, the, the Cardinal nation, that he adores because he does, right? Everywhere he goes, even to this day, he wears Cardinals gear when he's training. So, you know, if that doesn't tell you that the guy wants to stay, if it's one or two years, I mean, he wants to stay. And again, I, I do feel, I do believe that, that soon enough, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. I get, he didn't tell me anything. I didn't, I, I didn't ask him. Hey, are you gonna sign here? Yes or no? No. But the way I feel it, the way I see it, and the, 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 the recent developments that I've been hearing is there's, a, there's a little bit more and more. And just like the Derek Gould article yesterday uh, said, 
more and more conversation between the Cardinals and Melvin, Melvin Roman, uh, Yari's agent. So, so, so Yari can come back and, and, and retire a Cardinal. Thanks for revealing that, Polo, because that does give us a little bit of insight into the way that Yachty's thinking about this. But it doesn't surprise me that he said that. Yachty rides for St. Louis all the time. When Chris Bryant says St. Louis is boring, who is the first person to jump on Instagram and defend this city? It's Yachty or Molina. There is a special relationship between he and St. Louis. And that's one thing that's always been a factor for me when I look at the landscape of how this could play out, is the fact that you have this guy who loves this city and the city who loves him back. And one of the rare environments in sports where we really honor the the people that we revere, the icons of this game and of our city. And I can't imagine Yadier Molina not getting that moment where he plays his final game at Bush Stadium and it's packed with fans cheering for him. And so I wonder if that's something that he thinks about. I don't know if he revealed that to you, but... I, I, just even your opinion. Do you think that Yadi needs that moment where you have great Cardinal fans cheering for him as he takes his final at bat at Bush Stadium? I don't think, I personally don't think he needs it, but he wants it. You know, there's a need and a want, and he wants that. He, he knows, he, he knows people love him. Because I've never seen a guy strike out or <laughs> hit a pop-up to center field to end a game and get a standing ovation. And uh, I saw it with Yadier Molina a couple of times in 2019. You know, when, when somebody like that, uh, something like that happens, you know people love you. And, and his family feels the love. Everybody, it just, again, to me, coming from outside, coming from L.A., from Dodgers, where I used to work and the team that I used to follow, it was completely different. I, I had to learn the carnal way. I had to learn... The, the way of, of the Cardinal fans, and believe me, it, it's a great way. It's a great way, and he knows it. He, he knows that. He, he knows that his legacy is pretty much, you know, it's there. He's going to have a statue. His, his number is going to be retired. When, when the Hall of Fame calls, he's going to go in as a Cardinal. But that moment, like you said, I don't, I don't know if, if he really needs it, but I think we need it more, Michelle, than he does mm-hmm. because we need to thank him for everything that he has done for the Cardinals. And no, 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 I'm not playing the rah-rah guy. He's not paying me. I'm not on his payroll. I, I'm not here to, to, to talk great about Yadier Molina. I mean, if, if you don't believe me, just go YouTube. Go YouTube, put Yadier Molina, and you'll see moment after moment after moment of greatness of him with the, with the uniform. And, and the one thing that we asked him is, uh, in the interview, do you believe the franchise players are done? Franchise players are dead. Franchise players are no more. And he said, I think we're seeing the end of that. And I, I want to be one of the last ones to be a franchise player. So if that doesn't tell you that he wants to stay here, I don't know what, what it's going to tell you. Polo, you've given us so much insight, so much clarification into what, what we need to know about the interview. We thank you so much for your time. Have a great weekend. And by the way, if folks want to see you during the Cardinals virtual winter warm-up, I know you're going to be on yeah. a couple of the panels. So uh, can't wait yeah. to see you this weekend. Yeah, tomorrow around uh, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow Saturday. I don't even know what day you say. <laughs> tomorrow Saturday at uh, uh, St. Louis noontime. We're gonna have a hundred percent Espanol. So if you want to learn a little Spanish, Randy, Michelle, go to the one we have. Uh, Gio Gallegos, Tsunami Martinez, another guy who has a lot to say. Uh, uh, Genesis Cabrera, myself, and Benji Molina. So like you said, go to the Cardinals uh, uh, website and sign up for the warm up uh, session tomorrow. Hablemos de baseball, and thank you for mentioning that, Randy. All right. Always good to hear your voice. Thank you very much, and hopefully we'll see you soon. 
Yeah, hopefully we'll see you in Arizona. I mean, not, not in Arizona, in, in, Florida. in Florida for spring training. Yes, yes. Thank All right, you, Paul. Guys. Take care. Polo Sencio, the great Cardinals Spanish language play-by-play man, joining us on 101 ESPN. Hope you got uh, some clarification. I certainly did out of that interview. Coming up, we're going to head across the state to Kansas City. Adam Teicher covers the Chiefs for ESPN.com, and he's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, and we have Kansas City and Cleveland Sunday afternoon divisional round playoff action here on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And let's head across the state right now. Adam Teicher covers the Chiefs for ESPN.com. Kind enough to join us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Adam, always good to have you with us. Thanks for taking some time. How are you doing this morning? Good. How are you guys doing? Everything's great. I want to start with this because Kansas City was so fired up last year when the playoffs started about winning the Super Bowl. And I remember with the greatest show on turf here, Adam, rather than the joy that the fans experienced, it kind of became a relief when the team won games. What's it like in Kansas City now? Has the, the vibe among the fan base changed? Yeah, I mean, last year, I think you would call it anticipation. I mean, it had been 50 years since the Chiefs had gone to a Super Bowl. And so, that you know, it was, uh, it was more... Um, yeah, it was more joy maybe when the when the team when the Chiefs achieved something. This year, it's more expectation. I mean, hey, what they've done up to this point is great. You know, fourteen and two, best in the league. Won ten straight games at one point. Uh, um, fifth straight AFC West championship. That's all good stuff. But it'll be forgotten five minutes after the game if they lose on Sunday. I mean, it, it, there's it's, there's more of a demand now. There's more of an expectation. And whereas you know, people would have been disappointed, I don't think last year's season would have been looked at as a bust if the Chiefs hadn't gone to the Super Bowl. But this year's will. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, the, the expectation is, is clear, and there's going to be a lot of people who are um, uh, angry if, uh, if the Chiefs don't get it done this time around. Adam, we know that last year the Chiefs got off to a slow start versus the Texans in the divisional round. They were in a 24-0 hole after the first quarter. And I was reading quotes from Patrick Mahomes about how that's a focus for them heading into this game to get off to a fast start. The Browns jumped off to an early lead versus Pittsburgh. So do you think that this is going to be something that the Chiefs are going to be able to execute, get off to a fast start? Yeah, um, we'll see. I mean, you know, they haven't really played in two weeks now. You know, the, the regulars sat out, including Mahomes, sat out the last regular season game. Um, so, they, you know, they had that week off. And then, obviously, the Chiefs had the bye last week. So, Chiefs haven't played for a while. So, that is a concern. And I was kind of asking some questions this week about what they did to uh, um, sort of stay sharp, to, to simulate game experience. And other than uh, uh, practicing maybe a little harder than they otherwise would have, um, you know, the, the Chiefs are sort of rolling the dice a little bit in that regard. And, you know, I'll... I'll I'll go out on a maybe a, a small limb here and say that you know the Chiefs, as we know, not only was with twenty four nothing against Houston, but in their next game they were down by ten points against Tennessee, and in the Super Bowl they were down by ten points in the fourth quarter against the Forty ers I think if the Chiefs fall down behind by double digits this year, I think they're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, last year the thing that was so overlooked in the Chiefs coming back in all their playoff games was how well their defense was playing. And after Houston got off to that 24-0 lead, 
the Chiefs ran off 41 straight points. Well, if you're going to run off 41 straight points, your defense is getting something done. They're playing pretty well in, in the interim. And it, it, against Tennessee, you know, that Tennessee had 17 points in the first half, and Dan, Derrick Henry was on his way to a big game, and they shut him down in the second half. Tennessee got one touchdown late in the game. It was kind of garbage time by then. And then in the, 40, uh, in the Super Bowl, we know how the Chiefs uh, shut down the 49ers in the uh, fourth quarter after falling behind by 10 points. I mean, they were basically strangling the 49ers at, at one point in that game. So, I, and, and long story short, I just don't feel like the Chiefs are as good defensively this year. You know, they've not been very consistent defensively. They're sort of up and down. And everything they do, you don't know if you can count on it from one week to the next. I mean, rushing the quarterback, you know, they've been pretty good at it sometimes, not so good other weeks. Um, run defense, the same deal. They're, they're not very good in the red zone. They allow more touchdowns, uh, a higher percentage of touchdowns than any team in the league during the regular season. But they don't force many three and outs to get the ball back to the offense. So I, I just don't know what to expect from the Chiefs defensively from week to week. And I don't think they're good enough to hold a good opponent scoreless for long periods of time this year, unlike last year. Adam Teicher covers the Chiefs for ESPN.com. You wrote at ESPN.com about Edwards Hilaire practicing. Where does that stand for Sunday? Yeah, yeah, no, he had a setback yesterday. Um, he didn't play a uh, practice yesterday. So, um, you know, now um, you wonder a little bit. And I'm guessing at this point the Chiefs will have to go without him. I know that decision hasn't been made yet, but uh, when they do, uh, I'm thinking they're probably going to have to go without him. He had multiple injuries. There was a high ankle sprain and a, um, a hip strain. And, um, you know, it, it's hard when you have multiple injuries to rehab the other injuries. So uh, you know, that was the issue with him. I, I'm fairly clear that if the Chiefs win, he would be ready to play next week. But uh, this week's still up in the air a little bit. So we'll see with him. Adam, fill in the blank for me. The Browns beat the Chiefs if blank. If the Chiefs don't play their game. Um, you know, you heard me talking. The Chiefs won seven straight games toward the end of the season by six points or less. And we never really saw a complete game from them. You know, they, they had some games where they were on their way to it and they just didn't finish. They were up by 17 points in the fourth quarter on Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay almost came back to win. The Chiefs had to hold on at the end to win by three. And um, uh, there was a game a couple weeks later in Miami. The Chiefs are up on the Dolphins 30-10 to 10 in the fourth quarter, and the Dolphins almost came back to win that game. And it was a game in New Orleans where the uh, circumstances were similar. So, you know, the Chiefs are winning these games, but they're not finishing. They're not they're not playing for a full four quarters. Um, they had to go to the wire to beat the Falcons, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. So it's been, you know, we haven't really seen a complete game from the chiefs. And I feel like they're the better team. If they play the way they are capable of, it's going to be hard for the Browns to keep up. But if the chiefs are going to play like they did the last time we saw the full team against the Falcons, in that game I was talking about, uh, a minute ago, I think they're going to be in some real trouble here. So I, I think the, the you know the Browns just do their thing. I, I'm wondering on the Browns side. I'm wondering you know that was, was that their Super Bowl last week. You know that they, mm-hmm. they went into uh, against a bitter rival. They went into a stadium where they never win. They haven't won in almost 20 years, and they they got the job done. Well, that's great. And 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 you know now they're going to have to bring the energy. And, and they had to do it while overcoming. You know, their coach wasn't there. Half their coaching staff wasn't there. They had some players who were out because of COVID. Now they're going to have to do it again against an opponent who's not probably not going to help them out to the extent that the Steelers did. The Chiefs aren't going to turn it over five times like the Steelers did. So 
you know, we'll see. But so I, I you know, while I, I do have respect for the Browns, I, I think the Chiefs are the better team. And if they play their game, the Browns will have trouble keeping up. But if the Chiefs are going to hand it to them, if they're, if they're not going to uh, uh, play four quarters of football, yeah, I could see the Browns winning the game. Adam. Sure. One more thing before we let you go. You, you talked about the time off that they've had, and I, I have been a big believer in that Andy Reid record after the bye, which is 23-5 and five now, regular season and postseason. You've covered his entire career there. Is that a real thing? Is there any coincidence to the fact that he's so dominant, his teams are so dominant after they come off of a bye? Yeah, I can't point you to anything that they do that's different than anybody else. I mean, he gives guys time off generally, particularly during the regular season. He'll just give them the whole week off and, and tell them to come back and, and be ready to go. But so, but I, other than that, I can't really tell you, point to anything that the Chiefs do that other teams don't do that to, can speak to that record. But they have been really good. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. He hasn't been quite as good with the Chiefs as he was with the Eagles. So there is that. Uh, he was better with his, his record, I think, was like 13-1 and one or something like that with the Eagles. Not quite as good with the Chiefs, but still pretty good. But, uh, um, you know, it's, it's just a, a fact, uh, you know, you give him more time to prepare, and, and he's going to have something uh, pretty good cooked up usually. Adam, we love your work at ESPN.com. We always enjoy having you on the show here in St. Louis. Have a great weekend, and hopefully we'll talk to you more as the Chiefs traverse this postseason. Thanks. Anytime. Take care. That is Adam Teicher covers the Chiefs for ESPN.com, and he's one of the best in the business. He's covered that organization forever, and he's as tied in as anybody with the Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up at the top of the hour on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Or was it a, maybe it was somebody's a reliever song? Yeah. It was a reliever. I'm not sure who it was. I mean, obviously, you think of Metallica, I always think of Enter Sandman. Yeah. So, but that's not Enter Sandman. No, it's not. So I don't know who it is. I, I remember that song being involved with a baseball player. I don't know if it was a closer. They uh, change him the all the time. Yeah. So Tony Simakaitis, who's been with the Cardinals for umpteen years and runs the scoreboard and he does corporate, he's all over the place. So he's been in the, with the Cardinals like since he was literally in his teens. Yeah. And now, you know, grown man with children that are almost grown up. And so he's been there forever. But they go down and talk to the players before the season and say, hey, what's your walk-up song? And they're what? The, mm-hmm. the players get more enjoyment understanding that they get their own walk-up song than any. If you would have said, hey, by the way, here's a couple of free tickets to the All right, that's okay. But I get my own walk-up song? Yes. Oh, well, let's talk about that. And then they do a, a lot of thinking about what they want as their walk-up song. What would yours be, Dan? Uh, Wind Beneath My Wings. <laughs> Feel that medliller, uh, probably. No, I, I don't classic, know. A classic. No, a classic, you know, just to get you fired up. <laughs> the, the dulcet tones of bet oh, to get you hyped. <laughs> Rivera's, uh, <laughs> we, we get a couple people that are saying... Uh, Heath Bell. Mariano Rivera is Dan I think it might have been Heath Bell. Jonathan Papelbon yeah. per the Google machine, too. Okay. So there you go. It was Hell's Bells for... Trevor Hoffman. Trevor Hoffman, right. Yep. Uh, Mariano Rivera was Enter Sandman. Somebody said Wayno. Wayno uses an Alabama song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Song of the South, right? Yeah. Uh, so we appreciate that. Uh, Andrew it, Miller has got Johnny Cash. Yeah. I remember Berkman had Johnny Cash, um, little bit of chicken fried. Zach Brown Band. Zach Brown Band was Holiday. Holiday. You know, you just kind of associate some of those because you hear it 
at least a thousand times. I, I love Todd Frazier's Fly Me to the Moon, oh, Frank yeah. Sinatra. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was always Sinatra such a great walk-up good. song. Yeah. yeah, and I really do think that after McGuire left that Welcome to the Jungle should have just been retired. I know that Beltron came in and used it, but did I think Beltron should... use it? Yeah, he did. Okay. I don't remember that. Hmm. So. He put up big numbers, so he he backed it up. It worked out well. Yeah. yeah. That I, was a good signing. I really remember John Jay's was a Jay-Z song, Public Service Announcement. Was. I, rem- yep. I don't know why I remember that. Yep. Yeah. David Freeze had free uh, Pearl Jam. David would, would he? I think he did The Urge a couple of times. Uh, Jim Hayes used to go to players if they were in a slump and say, and it would just be some odd, weird thing that, like, if you're in the stands and you're having your beer and your nacho and your soda and you're with your buddies and all this stuff and you're kind of talking, all of a sudden, you know, now it, uh, you know, now batting third, first baseman, Matt Adams. And then you heard this, ding, 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 you know, like <laughs> something really weird, like a children's song. And people would kind of, you'd see the murmur in the audience, like, what? Did you you hear that? What's going on? Like they would do something weird to kind of change things up. It was funny. It would make the guy think about Jim and then we would all be in on it and talking about it. So it was fun. It's it's that that kind of stuff is the inside stuff that I like. Troy Tulowitzki used Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. Yes, I did like that. That's a banger. That's a great song. Yeah. What's banger? Banger means a great song. Okay. It means you can bang your head to it. It's awesome. Really? All right. I just nod my head. Like Wayne and Garth. Yeah. But that's that's too far. That's Wayne's World. Yeah. But I might here. do that song. I might do uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Great song. Oh, that'd be a good one. Why but, not? But what part of the song would you use uh, is the question. I think I have to, when it when it builds up, yeah, you got to go with that. That'd be great. Yeah. That's probably what I'd do. All right. Yes, sir. We got scoops with Danny Mac coming up, and then you have a busy weekend because there yes, is a lot that the Cardinals want to get through with their virtual winter warm-up. What are you most excited about? And I know you're going to be doing eight different panels this weekend, but what what should we be most intrigued by? Um, I'm most excited about if my internet works uh, <laughs> so we can get through this. Um, let's see. I, I think I'm most excited about the, the 2011 one would be fun. I, my understanding is we may have a couple of people like pop in that are unexpected that we've reached out to that have been hard to find. It is funny, not funny, I guess just part of life. I mean, when we all go our separate ways and people aren't from this town, but they play for the city, they, you know, they retire and they may come back on reunions or whatever. And the Cardinals do really a great job of making sure that once you're a part of the family, you're always a part of the family, especially if you're on a championship team, but still it is hard to track down guys sometimes. So my understanding is they're going to try to, to get a couple of guys that maybe you haven't seen or heard from in a while, pop in on the Zoom. So we'll see if that happens. Um, I think I'd I'd like to know more about just some clarity on um, spring training. I think if you're a fan, and, and if you've ever been down there on the main stage, and I've conducted these interviews, and I'm going to play actually as a way to promote the winter warm-up. I think some interesting comments from both Bill DeWitt III about the return of fans so people want to listen to that in the first segment and John Mozeliak talking about what they may do with free agency. And um, it's a long, in-depth conversation. Uh, I'll probably play some of it on the radio, I guess, next week once we release it on Cardinals.com. But I think fans will find that stuff interesting. Um, I also think if you really just love baseball, Gary LaRock, who runs the Cardinals minor league system, um, 
what happens with the minor league? I, I'm a huge minor league guy. So these guys are trying to come back. They haven't played professional baseball in over a year. How does that happen? You know, how, how are you going to get these guys mm-hmm. ready to go? And I think that's going to be fascinating too. Um, but I think fans, I, I generally look at the Cardinals warm up as um, it's kind of the unofficial kickoff to the season. And if we're going to have baseball and by all accounts from everybody I've talked to down at the Cardinals, they're told we're full steam ahead. Start finding your place. We're playing games. Uh, Mo indicated probably 70 to 80 people down there player-wise, mm-hmm. which I was taken back by. I thought they'd maybe only do the 40-man roster, right. but he was talking about having um, a lot of guys down there. So I, that that interests me. I, it gets me back in the mood of just, I don't want to talk about, or I get sick of hearing about, will we play? Now it's saying, all right, we're going to play. Now let's talk about what this team looks like. You know, let's let's. Mm-hmm. They haven't done anything. I think that'll change, um, and and they know it has to change. So, and the central is there for the taking. Let's mm-hmm. be honest about this. It is there for the taking if they make some moves, um, and I do believe that they will. I think before it's all said and done, again, may not be when we want it, but I do think before opening day, we're going to have a different look to the roster. It may not be a huge overhaul, but I think there will be some type of movement because they know they, it's there. Their pitching is very good. A lot of teams are don't have the depth. Depth is going to be a key this year, pitching more than ever. Um, and the offense has got to be better. There's just no other way to put it. It's got to be better. Yes, it does. I can't wait Period. to listen. Yep. Yeah. You excited about the Blues tonight going to yeah, Absolutely. I thought, you know, I don't know about you guys, but if you come out in game one and we haven't seen the Blues in a while and we're all excited about it, it I, it's only one game, and I know Alex Ferrario is ready to, you know, get the cup from Gary Bettman. Mm-hmm. But... Um, <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah, exactly. I do think it's important, though, to set the tone against what people consider the best team in the league. Agreed. And he went out and thumped them 4-1. And a lot of the things that we've talked about leading into this season, whether it's Robert Thomas or, you know, at center and who is he with, uh, the versatility of Sunquist, the, the fact that um, your big guys really weren't major factors in the game. Thomas was, but, you know, like Krug and Pareko and some of the others that we've talked about. And Jordan Bennington, uh, Jordan Bennington was great. I think all those things, when you think about it, going into game two, get you excited. And we have nothing else going on right now. So, hey, I'm I'm fired up for it. We're fired up for your show. Scoop. Thank you. Uh, Brad Thompson will also be a part of the program as well. Always great to hear from BT. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you, sir. Have a good okay, weekend. You too. And uh, we want you to know that we're saying thanks to St. Louis area education employees with Hubbard Radio's Deserving Deliveries. Today's Deserving Deliveries, put together by 101 ESPN, Hubbard Radio St. Louis, and Scott Credit Union. 100 lunches are being delivered today to the staff at Cosley Elementary by Super Smokers Barbecue. Where is our next Deserving Delivery headed to next Friday? You can nominate your favorite school staff now at 101ESPN.com. And thank you again to all the area educators and staff working hard during these extraordinary times. Thanks to our producer engineer, Tanner Hendrickson. Great work as always. Thank you. Go Rams. Go uh, Packers. Emily Roth doing great uh, work here in the background, and she'll be back with us next week. Michelle, have a great weekend. Thank you. You too, Randy. Let's go Blues. Let's go Blues and then all of the football this weekend. Thank you all for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. And until Monday morning at 7, have a great weekend, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, Nine mediocre middle school recitals? 
one heart attack. And with Letvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Letvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lecvio. Let me guess. Unknown caller? You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection. The latest innovation from Discover will help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And we'll do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection.